<laughs> oh, John's Ralphus now. Oh, okay. I'm going to be really confused by that file. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember when we invited Ralphus for an interview. About the Cowboy Star we can get to be on a show, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days, and not-so-good old days, of World Championship Wrestling, series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I look to the skies for a podcaster, someone to speak fear into the black hearts of the same men who book Starcade. But he's not in the skies, he's seated right here next to me, Alec Pridgen. I bring hope to all. (laughs) We're also joined by the prevailer of good, with a voice hopefully not of silence, and a mission of promoting Scorpahawks. This is Matrix Mullins. Hi. <laughs> Truly an inspirational hero to us all. How's it going, guys? Good, good. Holiday preparation all uh, driving everybody crazy yet? I just think it's easier just to wrap people up instead of presents and then just unwrap them with everything in front of them. That is not a bad idea. I should try that with my dad. <laughs> I'm just going to do what Dinokon's doing, which is skipping right to New Year's Day. <laughs> yes. It does that Close enough. <laughs> yep. 28th, yep. Happy New Year. <laughs> Why not? Time and space are relative. <laughs> Tonight, we're taking a look at Starcade 98. Who's next? The challenge has been issued. Last year, Goldberg was just starting his career and facing Mongo in the midcard. Tonight, he is the world champion with an undefeated streak of 173 matches, facing his challenger, Kevin Nash, in the main event. That is one heck of a swift rise to prominence. Yeah, that is a big jump. (laughs) A win every other day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it should be good. I mean, WCW spent over a year building this guy up. There's no way that they'll screw this up and waste over a year's worth of effort. Again. I mean, they've surely learned their lessons by now. You would think so. Surely. Yeah, I did. That's why I said it. Yeah. Goldberg doesn't have face paint in this one. No. Does he ever have face paint? I know, but I was just saying, there's, there's got to be a way for them to screw it up. I just, I yeah. was trying to think. I was, I was thinking, uh, if he ever did have face paint, it would look a lot like Road Warrior Hawk, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am all about things, all things Hawk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Starcade 1998 was held on December 27th, 1998, at the MCI Center in Washington D.C., in front of a sold-out crowd of 16,066 fans. It received about 450,000 pay-per-view buys. Now, that's down 200,000 from 1997, but still around 210,000 more than 1996. So it's like right smack dab in the middle there. Because <laughs> it's always good to do less numbers year to year. Yeah. At least they're still up at the moment, though. Mm-hmm. But did the pay-per-view cost more this year? Probably did. Probably did. Yeah. <laughs> Losing only, like, half half is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, for comparison's sake, 
the 450,000 is actually still a pretty good number for the year. It beats all but three of the WWF shows for the year. But those three, WrestleMania 14 in March, SummerSlam 1998 in August, and Survivor Series 1998 in November, did beat it by quite a bit, earning 730,000, 655,000, and 600,000 respectively. Now, Starcade does beat the buys for WWF's December show, though that was part of the more minor In Your House series. That would be In Your House Rock Bottom, which earned 290000 I mean, when you name a show Rock Bottom, you assume it's going to be down, right? <laughs> you would assume so. Yeah, yeah, just given. We're going to cover this in more detail on other shows, but there's been a change in the NWO. After Hogan's eventual actual loss to Sting at Super Brawl, tensions in the group eventually led to a split into a black-and-white Hollywood faction led by Hogan and a black-and-red Wolfpack faction led by Kevin Nash. The Hollywood faction are pure heels, while the Wolfpack... Okay, yeah, they're faces. I just... They're the NWO. Right. I don't get how they're faces, but they're faces. Well, one of the three people that came in to destroy the company is now a good guy. Yeah, So it's hard to figure out about that. I don't know. It's so simple. Even Sting joins the Wolfpack at one point, and don't get me started on that one. (laughs) At this point, Hogan has announced his retirement from pro wrestling to run for President of the United States, (laughs) and Scott Steiner is now leading the black and white. Don't worry, that run is just another wrestling angle. Yes. So he doesn't get elected. No. No. (laughs) <laughs> Although Scott Snyder does prove, while successfully running the NWO in Hogan's absence, that he's a good manager, which will obviously lead to the future where he runs the Shonies. Yes, yeah. Got to start here. Exactly. <laughs> we open with a video showing world heavyweight champion Goldberg, cutting back and forth between close-ups from various angles in black and white, and odd sepia-toned clips of his entrance and him doing the jackhammer. The clips have a time counter at the bottom, advancing as they go from clip to clip. I think the idea here is to show how Goldberg finishes his matches quickly, since a clip labeled 80341 shows the start of the match, and one labeled 80404 shows the end. It's not necessarily a bad video, and it does make Goldberg look kind of cool, but it tells you absolutely nothing about what's going on on the actual show. It's just, hey everybody, Goldberg exists! I mean, if there's any ever in doubt, if they've cleared it up. Yeah. I think they should have stuck to sepia the whole time. It didn't didn't mess with my eyes as much. Yeah. <laughs> kind of going back and forth between the two filters was kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was ominous. I, I don't know. You know, all the black and white thing is more of an NWO thing to me now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get a bronze-colored Starcade logo tonight, and it's officially branded as WCW slash NWO Starcade this year. I did kind of like the color scheme myself, the, the bronze logo. Mm-hmm. I can see that. They're kind of getting away from the neon that they've been stuck in yeah, for a long yeah. time. Yeah, Saved by the Bell is a way, way long time. Well, I guess it's still <laughs> popular now. Never mind. <laughs> there were the college years. That did run afterwards. I don't know how... Yeah, I don't, I don't remember exact- when exactly that was. Tony Schiavone welcomes us with an amazing opening line. In a city where the fate of the free world is decided on a daily basis, tonight, 
the fate of WCW, the NWO, and the world title that's been in existence since 1905 will be decided at the MCI Center. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Because your wrestling show is right up there with the business of the United States government. (laughs) More exciting than C-SPAN. It it probably is more exciting than C-SPAN. I'll I'll give them that. (laughs) This year, the stage has kind of a Greek columns look with the Starcade logo hanging in the center. I like the idea of the stage design, but I thought it looked kind of cheap. It's like they had a good idea, but didn't have the time to fully flesh it out, so it just seems rather basic. Right. Plus, you have people who have to walk awkwardly around the logo hanging Yeah, it's a little weird. Tony introduces his fellow commentators tonight, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Iron Mike Tanay. Sadly, no Dusty. We're done with my favorite commentary team for our Starcade run, unfortunately. Yeah. Tony says that it's the biggest world title match they've ever witnessed with Goldberg versus Kevin Nash. I get what he's going for, with Goldberg risking not just his title but his undefeated streak, but even so, there is no way that this match is bigger than last year when everybody was telling us the very fate of WCW itself was on the line, right? Or the the year before, where it was a match of the century slash lifetime, Bronze Age, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever you're going to call it. Heenan says that Nash is bigger than Goldberg and has been a world champion, and he's more experienced, but Heenan is still betting on Goldberg tonight. Tanay says momentum might be on Nash's side as well with his time with the Wolfpack. Tony builds up the upcoming Flair versus Bischoff match. Two Starcades in a row, Eric? Wow. <laughs> yep. He says that Eric Bischoff has demanded that the Horsemen, that's Malenko, Benoit, Arn Anderson, and Mongo, be banned from the building. Could we have let Malenko at least have a match and then ban him from the building? That would have been nice. He's been yeah. great. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Also, maybe they could, they could show us that. Yeah, it would have been. Like, show us in the back and, the yeah. Otherwise, just tell us they're not there. Yeah. Because <laughs> let's be honest, WSW, they were probably actually backstage. Almost guaranteed that they flew them all into the show. Oh, yeah. So it's not like they weren't actually there and you couldn't show them be kicked out. <laughs> they were definitely backstage. Yeah. I just see them like driving around the states in like a giant caravan, <laughs> RVs, going from match to match just to save on on some flights. Yeah, the WCW and saving money don't tend to go well together. No. Can you imagine if we had like the the polling technology we had now, where like who do you want to see next? And <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. people could put <laughs> votes in, and whoever the top two votes were would fight. Twitter would be deciding uh, Raw on a daily basis. Yep, yep. There's no way that could backfire. (laughs) The announcers agree that Bischoff is trying to stack the deck, but they say Flair has been world champ 13 times, so he is a formidable opponent. They turn to DDP versus the Giant, and Tanay says that DDP remembers the chokeslams he's suffered, and it's his chance for revenge. Oddly, Tony throws to a promo for QVC. Apparently, WCW is running a special on QVC showing matches and selling collectibles. Bret Hart and Scott Steiner build up the show. No, it would be awesome if, like, you know, they did, like, a no disqualifying match, and then the next item for sale was tossed into the ring, and then, like, they beat him over the head with, like, a pan. 
Like, see how lo- how tough these Teflon pans are. <laughs> Only, and like it cuts to like a, a close thing and has like a thirty nine ninety nine. There you go. <laughs> it's a nonstick pan. Look, the blood washes right off. That would be good. Yeah, Chris Jericho chimes in that it's their biggest wrestling special yet. What bigger than Starcade? <laughs> I pray that this show finds its way to the WWE network at some point. It sounds like absolute gold. I'm serious. Yes. I mark out every time Mean Gene says one nine hundred nine zero nine ninety nine hundred. So you bet I want to see a wrestling show entirely based around shilling merchandise. Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of Mean Gene, Tony throws to Mean Gene. Gene tells us that police have escorted Mongo McMichael out of the arena and shills the hotline one nine hundred nine zero nine ninety nine hundred. Yes. <laughs> he wishes ring announcer David Penzer a happy New Year. Is he aware that it's only the 27th? A little early. He doesn't plan to talk to Dave Penzer for the next week and a half. So <laughs> I guess so. He's not popular backstage. <laughs> really sad. Our first match is Juventud Guerrera versus Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Billy Kidman in a triangle match for Kidman's WCW Cruiserweight Championship. The referee for this match is Charles Robinson. So, as part of the Eric Bischoff is the evil boss storyline, he was making a lot of wrestlers in the back mad, and that included Eddie Guerrero, who felt that him and other Latino wrestlers were supposed to get more opportunities, more money, and stuff like that. So, they did, he decided to form a union of sorts, taking cue from previous groups, and formed the LWO, the Latino World Order, which consisted of every Hispanic wrestler they had in the roster, Except for Mysterio Jr., who initially did not want to join the group, mostly because it's Eddie Guerrero, and he didn't trust him. Which, it's a pretty good thought process at that point. Mm-hmm. By this point, he is forced to join them as per a match stipulation, so he's a reluctant member of the group. Okay. So the idea going into this match is that Eddie Guerrero has two of his guys, both going for the title, which is really stacking the deck. The expression we're going to use all show, I guess. And Sarah used it once mm-hmm. in the favor of the LWO to get the title off Billy Kidman. Okay. It's our first look at Juventud Guerrera in a match, and he is already unmasked. Yes. That's kind of sad. Ray gets a cool entrance with a prize fighter kind of robe. It looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Heenan points out that Ray wipes his feet on an LWO t shirt. Yes. Kidman has kicked his fictional heroin habit, so good for him. Yeah. Oh, well. Progress is progress, even if it isn't in this realm of reality. Our last triangle match was back at Starcade 1995 with Sting, Luger, and Flair, but where that one had just two in the ring at a time and one on the apron, with them tagging in and out, this is just a traditional three-way match with everybody fighting at once. I ended up liking the 1995 match, but I'm still glad to see this version instead. Much less complicated rules-wise. Yes. And of course, even these two matches are different than other triangle matches we'll also get, as we'll cover in later shows. The word triangle match means very little consistently. Other than three. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Guerrero slaps Kidman and Mysterio in turn. Bad idea. They team up against him and set a fast pace, with Guerrera frequently countering one's move, only for the other to nail him right afterwards, until Mysterio accidentally hits Kidman when Guerrera dodges. Kidman fires back, and Kidman and Mysterio trade blows while Guerrera cheers them on. So, both stop, turn, and double clothesline him down, then go back to brawling. (laughs) 
that honestly might have been the spot of the night for me. It was pretty <laughs> it was good. Pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. You would never learn. No. Guerrero tries his luck against each in turn, but gets knocked aside. Kidman puts Guerrero on the turnbuckle, but Mysterio interrupts. So Kidman lifts Mysterio on his shoulders, but Mysterio rolls forward and off to avoid a Guerrero flying crossbody. Then Kidman lifts Mysterio and drops him in a splash on Guerrero. Kidman and Mysterio break each other's pins. They team up again, but Guerrero gets a falling DDT on both simultaneously and tries to pin both guys at once, <laughs> but gets thrown off at two. Sequence of three-way counters ends with Guerrero flipping out of a Mysterio German suplex and getting nailed with a Kidman clothesline just in time for Mysterio to charge in, get sent skyward by Kidman, and counter with a facebuster on the way down. All perfectly timed there. Mm-hmm. It earns Mysterio and Guerrero some two counts. Guerrero clotheslines Kidman out and throws Mysterio over the top rope onto him. During the tag match later on, by the way, Tony will note that the over-the-top rope disqualification rule is gone now. I missed that. Hey, it's a good thing. Guerrero follows with a springboard splash. Back in, Mysterio and Kidman simultaneously greet him with drop kicks as he jumps off the top rope. Guerrero hits a springboard Hurricane Rana to Mysterio on Kidman's shoulders. <laughs> Kidman saves at two and gets two on Guerrero. Kidman counters a Guerrero suplex into a bulldog, kicking Mysterio on the way down and getting two and nine tenths on Guerrero. Guerrero's a little late on a save after a Mysterio seated springboard moonsault to Kidman, so Robinson just kind of stops. Yeah. He's a very charitable referee. Yeah. <laughs> Can't all go perfectly. Yeah. Mysterio Hurricane Rana's Guerrero from the apron to the floor, and Guerrero nearly hits head first, turning sideways at the last moment to save his life. He uh, held the ropes just a little bit too long, I think. That's probably what caused it. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Big moves and pin attempts by each, with each making saves, until Kidman hurls Guerrero outside, and Mysterio ducks a Kidman charge to send him out and hits a top rope springboard moonsault to both. Back in, and Mysterio hits a springboard Hurricane Rana to Guerrero, but Guerrero hits the Hoovy Driver for two, as Kidman saves again. More quick moves, pins, and saves, and with Mysterio Hurricane Ronnieing Guerrero and himself out, and Kidman hits a shooting star press from the top to the outside on both of them. The crowd starts booing, and Eddie Guerrero comes down the ramp. Sorry, I should clarify that a little better. The crowd starts booing as Eddie Guerrero comes down the ramp. Yeah, it made it sound like Eddie was like, oh, they're unhappy. I should help them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> He's very, very good. I say, this, is, this is some good high-flying... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction when it was on the show at first, was, why are they booing? This is awesome. And then I realized, oh, Eddie's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Robinson goes out to argue with Eddie, but checks on Mysterio outside as well. In the ring, Kidman counters a Guerrero sunset flip by sitting down, but... Eddie charges in and flips Kidman down, so Guerrero's on top. Eddie slides out and celebrates, but as Robinson slides in to count, Mysterio makes the save with a dropkick that knocks Guerrero down and Kidman back on top for the three count and the win. Eddie stops dead in mid-brag and slowly turns around to see that Kidman has won and freaks out. <laughs> he goes full-on cheesy 80s action movie villain. It's great. Oh, yeah. It's like, no! This <laughs> is the best part of the match. <laughs> Thoughts on this one? Fun and frantic. <laughs> yes, definitely. What I really like with the match is 
that there's so much going on, and it actually really uses the fact there's three people quite well. There's a tendency in badly booked, or at least so-so booked, triple threat matches where it basically breaks down into a series of 1-1 matches. Right. Where someone will only roll out and they will wrestle, then you will all then will wrestle, and so on and so forth. This match really is built upon there always being three people in the ring, or about to be in the ring, or trying to get in the ring. There's never a point where it doesn't feel like this really is a triple threat match, mm-hmm. essentially. Even though they don't call it that. Everyone is relevant the entire time. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are breaks, but only to set up big moves to the outside or stuff like that. Yeah. It's hard to really pick who did best here. Because, I mean, Kidman doing the arguably the ballsiest thing we've seen on a show so far. Because the shooting star press, just if you've ever seen it, you kind of have to understand the logistics of it. So you jump off the top rope and push your feet forward, but then you're basically doing a backflip in the air. So you're doing forward while rotating your body backwards mm-hmm. and do a full rotation and land back the way you were beforehand. It's a terrifying move to see. Plus, to the outside, even with two people to catch you, it's, it's tricky, for sure. Yeah. The shooting star press, despite that there's other even more flippy moves and everything, I think the shooting star press is by far my favorite top rope move. The physics of it are incomprehensible to me. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It, it looks neat. It, it just has a, has a great look to it. Yeah, your mind creates this visual that time is somehow going slower. Yeah. Because ro- you're rotating against what looks like the momentum of it. Mm-hmm. So it looks like someone jumps, time slows down, and then suddenly catches up again. Mm-hmm. Much like the editing trick Zack Snyder used to death in all of his movies. Yes. <laughs> he slowed down to speed up. Whereas stuff like the 450, which is amazing in its own right, is a cool move, but it is very fast and very yeah. sudden. There's almost a sort of mystical aspect to watching someone shooting star press. Yeah. Especially the higher up they are. Seeing people do it from the ground is impressive in its own right, like the running or standing ones, but with air, you sort of get an extra appeal to mm-hmm. that. Now, I will note that I usually don't like matches based on whether they have outside interference or not. That's just my rule, as it should be clear by now. <laughs> in this case, I give it a bit of a pass because, it, one, it's actually not that much interaction. It's important to the finish, obviously, but it's not like it fully takes over the match. And plus, as we'll see, what happens with this finish leads immediately to the next match. So it's not like you're screwing me out of a clean finish and, hey, buy the show next month. There's immediate payoff to this. And to be fair, it's averted, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Eddie interferes, but then his interference is undone. Oh, yeah. No, I just mean the fact that the finish is decided by outside interference in some way. Yeah, okay. But yeah, this is definitely the least offensive way they can do that for me, me personally. But yeah, it's a really good match. Oh, I enjoyed the match. Anytime you have this much uh, high-flying action, it's always a, a highlight for me. <laughs> sure. Ray Mysterio's great. I mean, actually, there was no one in the match that wasn't uh, amazing. I will agree that the shooting star press was probably the best uh, move in the whole match. And, and I, that whole slowing down time, I think that's a good way of describing it. Mm-hmm. This may be the, the footage that inspired uh, Beautiful Joe. <laughs> a yeah, fun do that. Yeah. time uh, <laughs> dilation uh, game that has lots of high-flying moves. But I did enjoy the interaction of him coming in, the crowd booing, and you see like this domino effect <laughs> and that determines the, the winner of the match in, in having ne- three near pinfalls mm-hmm. and interference back-to-back-to-back to back to back and doing it flawlessly. Did not take away from it 
at all. And it was nice to see that, you know, they're just doing this flip flop. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Kudos to the, the ref on this one. <laughs> Keeping it all straight, too. Yeah, I, I had a feeling you were going to enjoy this one. It's, it's so, like, innovative, mm-hmm. uh, action-wise. The great start. Mm-hmm. Out of all the Starcades and, and, and everything, I, I enjoy the the ones that start strong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just think, if they'd had a match like this to open Starcade 91, the Battle Bowl show would have been would much better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is one of the best openers we've had. It's right up there with Malenko versus Ultimo Dragon, for sure. It got a little sloppy at points, and there were times that I could see them setting up the timing, Sure, but I can forgive it. The spots that the guys were going for were mind-blowing, so it's no surprise that it was hard to get everything perfect. Some absolutely incredible moments, and a consistent quick pace with minimal pauses. A terrific and exciting match that showed off just how talented and creative all three of these guys are. Juventud Guerrera seems like he's not quite as consistent as the other two in there, and that apron Hurricane Rana spot was a little scary, but he still does a great job otherwise. If there's one flaw that I can mention to it, it's that the fun character work early on feels like it kind of falls by the wayside later on, when the insane spots come fast and furious. But, they do keep the general storyline going quite well, and the match feels like it tells a complete tale. Even the ending interference can be forgiven since it's just countered and undone, so the match still gets a clean enough finish. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent start to the show. Two times in a the match, they tease a spot that feels like it's going to be a version of the Doomsday device, the mm-hmm. Road Warriors, which makes me want to see Road Warrior Hawk doing the move that Rafteria does, doing a flying hard combat <laughs> of somebody. Oh, that sounds terrifying. I know, I thought I want to see it. Take this match and replace a few of the other matches tonight. It would be my favorite Starcade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just replay it. Yeah, just, yeah. I, I, I could watch this match several times in a row, honestly. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. I could see that. Mysterio's run coming out of this is pretty strong, leading to a big match he has in February where you see him with Conan. Okay. Which decided to turn a big way. Kidman leaves with his belt. And Eddie climbs in the ring and grabs a microphone. You're always messing up the shot. You can't deal with it. You can't take it. You are an LW. And you, you moron. You're just as moron as he is. You're even more of a moron than he is. They say, I tell him he hit plantado. You know the podias ganar. I left him lane, man. You couldn't finish the job and I left them late. You're a moron. You're a moron. You guys aren't worth LWO material. You guys aren't LWO material. I can't believe this. That belt is supposed to be LWO You can't beat a cream puff. Huh? I can't believe you can't beat a cream puff. Shut up. I'm talking. I can't you believe I can't believe. You can't beat a sissy boy like Kidman. He's a pretty boy. He's probably getting ready to go out on a date. He's probably combing his hair because you guys can't hack it. Man. Never seen him like this. No, neither have I. And- you are an embarrassment. I don't got nothing to do with you. Me das vergüenza, say. I te lo dejé. No lo pudiste acabar. Especialmente tú. 
All you do is fight against me. All you do is go against anything I say, and I'm trying to do the best that I can. You're supposed to be the best in the world, and you're supposed to be the best in the world. Can, can they both be? Hey, yeah. When you want something done, I guess you just got to do it yourself. So, Kidman, if you're back there, and if you can hear me, you dweeb, this Vatos Loco is going to challenge you to a Cruiserweight Champion because I know I can win it. Now, Kidman's already gone. And he- you know, Eddie, you talk a lot of garbage when you're all the way over there. But if you want a shot, there's no time like the present. Don't be foolish. Foolish is right, the man's I tell you what, pretty boy, you let me go get my stuff on, and I'll be more than happy to kick your butt all over this ring. I said, wait a minute. I don't mean to go in the back. If you want to talk out of that garbage now, you're really the sissy if you won't fight me right now. Ball's in your court, Eddie. Hey, wait a minute. I haven't even had a chance to prepare mentally. Cayate! What's the matter, Eddie? Are you afraid? I haven't had a chance to get ready. No, I'm not afraid. If you got the towel, I'm not afraid. You pretty boy, you want me? All right. Kidman's going to wrestle again. He just wrestled two men, and he's not 100%. This was a great performance buried in the middle of a kind of clumsy performance. Yeah, that's true. Eddie stumbles over his words a lot, and some of his statements come out rather perplexing until he corrects them, but he comes off as very raw and angry, and some of the clumsiness actually helps with that. It's almost just him being too mad to think clearly. It just ends up a little too disorganized for that. Juventud Guerrera's acting is great here. He looks totally distraught by how Eddie's treating him, and close to tears at points. I really felt bad for him. I'm not entirely sure why Kidman's so eager to fight Eddie right away when Kidman's the one that just had a crazy match, but boy, did this pack in a ton of emotion and make me want to see this fight. Yeah, it's so close to being a really good promo segment. He just doesn't quite nail enough of the content to feel like he's just being angry and then just... Yeah. It's a shame, because it's otherwise really good, yeah. Referee Scott Dickinson runs down to the ring to officiate, and we've got ourselves a match. So our second match is Eddie Guerrero with Juventud Guerrera versus Billy Kidman with Rey Mysterio Jr. for Kidman's WCW Cruiserweight Championship. The referee for the match is Scott Dickinson. (laughs) I will tell you, after the energy fest that the first match was, I would not want to be wrestling a second match, and I can't believe that Kidman still has something left for this. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Eddie attacks before the bell and batters Kidman with forearm strikes, a clothesline, and a powerbomb in inside cradle for two each. Eddie flings Kidman high up and lets him drop, learning from Malenko last year. (laughs) Abdominal stretch, and Guerrera, now wearing Eddie's leather jacket, holds Eddie's hand for leverage on Kidman, but Mysterio breaks that up. Twice. Eddie and Guerrera yell at Mysterio, but Eddie shoves Guerrera away angrily. Back in, Kidman fights back with a cool slingshot head scissors, but Eddie stops that comeback fast as Tony asks if Kidman, having to face three guys tonight, is setting a record. 
Blatantly not. No. <laughs> Even if battle bowls are excluded, the participants in the Iron Man singles tournament at Starrcade 89 and Sting and Luger at Starrcade 95 equaled Kidman's total. Yeah, it's true. Kidman high-flying dropkick turns the tide, but he pauses to recover by the ropes, and Guerrera grabs his leg so Eddie can hit a rare front-side chop block, the kind that would actually hurt. <laughs> Eddie bends Kidman like a pretzel, in an awesome submission hold that looks like it would hurt basically everywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the crowd chants, Eddie sucks. Kidman slips a leg free, so Eddie continues the beating. Eddie indicates that the crowd can kiss his <laughs> Mysterio helps Kidman roll out. I'm not entirely sure why that's okay to do. Guerrero helps Eddie get the better of a brawl outside. Back in, Kidman makes a comeback, but Guerrero helps Eddie loosen the laces of his steel-toed work shoes. Mysterio tries to warn Dickinson, but that distracts him, and Eddie knocks Kidman out with the shoe. Eddie signals for a timeout, because his shoe accidentally fell off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it cracked me up. Happens all the time. Mysterio and the crowd disagree, so Eddie hurls his shoe at Mysterio angrily, who dodges. Kidman kicks out at two, because it took Eddie too long to pin. Eddie hits a brain buster, but takes too long going up, and eats a Kidman superplex for two and a half. Even Heenan is now praising Kidman's endurance. Eddie dropkicks and elbow drops Kidman's knee and puts on a headstand leg lock. Mysterio uses Eddie's own shoe to stop him from using the ropes on a couple two counts. Eddie hits an amazing rope-ascending springboard hurricane rana with only one shoe on. Yeah, it's amazing. He runs to the ropes, he steps on the middle rope with his sock-covered foot, and then steps off the t- onto the top rope with his other one, and then jumps, literally jumps backward while t- turning around and do Urkarana. One of the most amazing moves of the night. Yes. Eddie tries a powerbomb, but you can't powerbomb Kidman, and Eddie eats a face buster. Kidman builds to a slingshot leg drop for two. Eddie holds onto the ropes to block a top rope Urkarana. Kidman lands hard, and Eddie puts him up top. Eddie's bodyguard rushes the ring, and Mysterio stops him. Kidman shoves Eddie down, but with Dickinson distracted, Guerrera crotches Kidman on the top turnbuckle. Guerrera celebrates, and Eddie goes back up, but Mysterio shoves Eddie crotch first onto the top rope, knocking Guerrera down in the process. Kidman hits the shooting star press for the three count and the win, as Guerrera is too late to stop it. Not that it would have been okay if he had anyway, because it would have been a DQ most likely, but hey. (laughs) I mean, given the way it's been, who knows? Good point. Mysterio helps Kidman leave with the belt, and Tony praises Kidman's two victories tonight. Heenan praises Kidman's guts. Thoughts on this match? I thought it was really good. What I really liked is the story of it on two fronts. So on the actual story front directly, it's Guerrero doing hard, impactful, sudden start to wear down on a guy who's wrestled a long match with lots of flying mm-hmm. jumping. So it makes absolutely makes sense. Just strike him really quickly and wear him down, take whatever energy he has left out of it. The other aspect to it is that, as you mentioned, Kidman has to be tired after wrestling that match. So doing it this way allows him to recover as much as you can while someone's beating you up, you know. <laughs> Point. It's best to just rest while you're down. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But no, it's 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 not like he it's not like they just start a regular match like the previous match and he's just going again. It's a lot of time to allow him to get energy back so we can do the shooting star press and yeah. like that. Absolutely makes sense. I love 
<laughs> jokingly sort of loves seeing the shoe as a deadly weapon. It continues to be the most befuddling of all dangerous weapons in wrestling history. I mean, at least this one they do specifically say is steel-toed. Right. So it makes sense why it would hurt to be hit with it. But still, I don't get why it hurts more than when he uses it to kick. Absolutely. So, but, wait, just, wait, Yeah, just wait. get him down and stomp on him. This is the second Starcade in a row that having steel on someone's toe <laughs> has caused them to, <laughs> to, to have things fly away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, point. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was worried for the crowd again on this one, but at least they showed that Mysterio had the shoe later, so I knew it hadn't gone. Either it didn't go flying into the crowd, or someone nicely retrieved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, seeing Eddie perform this way under obviously what is realistically is planned out circumstances, but playing like it's he's unprepared and wrestling in gear that you should not be wrestling in mm-hmm. normally. And wrestling so well, like with that, with the rope ascending move, it's pretty amazing. It shows you how talented that dude was. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's just lots of little things, like the constant parts of Hoovy trying to assist him and Ray trying to stop it. So it makes the interference a part of the match, but there's an equal balancing point to it mm-hmm. with two of them. And it's so integrated that if you, like me, Joe, don't like it, you can accept the fact that it basically the match is built around this, so... It's not like a cheapening thing for me, having interference like this. Mm-hmm. Finishing, I guess, is fair since they cheated to get him in that position, so it's only fair to then cheat to get him out of it. So it sort of evens out that way. Yeah, There's just a lot of nice little things in there. Even even just Hoovy putting on Eddie's jacket and wearing it ringside that. the whole time is actually a little touch I like. I don't even know why um, Kidman just comes back. Why does he have to come down? Well, he was challenged. He's 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 a face, and faces are stupid. Yes. <laughs> well, I was just really surprised for him to come down. I thought they were just going to let this play out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was legitimately surprised by that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it might be just a little tussle, and that would be it. It wouldn't be like a full-blown match. You know, it might be like just a quick exchange. Maybe Eddie could be really heelish and knock him out or something after he's all mm-hmm. tired and everything. But no, I think it was great. It's a good example of how he just, his arrogance kind of burns all those bridges. You know, his allies Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the match and the storylines that lead up to that. You know, they are sort of his protégés kind of things. And he just tells them they're worthless. And guess what? He gets to to eat it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's really satisfying, um, even even if you're not happy with the first match and you wanted to see a different winner. At least, you know, you still see a resolution where everyone get some sort of redemption mm-hmm. and Eddie gets what he deserves. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating ending that way. Like you were saying, Alan, like you were saying just now, it, it really carries forward that storyline of the first match expertly. Yes. It's not something we've seen in the, in the other ones. Usually when people are getting called out, they, they've run out of time <laughs> and the show ends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, normally you see the, that promo happen and that's like, oh, that'll be the next show or that'll be, you know, something that Al will be discussing in his what happens next in the storyline thing. But in this one, it's like, no, it's actually on the show. I was like, wait, what? Really? <laughs> yeah. A second really good match from Kidman tonight. There's a lot of shenanigans in this one with Guerrera and Mysterio, probably, like you were saying, to help Kidman have some chances to catch his breath, mm-hmm. given that he's already had a high energy match right before this. But even so, it's an impressive performance from him. He's not bouncing all over the ring like the last match, but he's not letting Eddie do all the work either. He gets in a lot of cool moves over the course of this match and puts in the effort to make his side of things work. Eddie, for his part, has an epic 
heel performance here. Oh, yeah. Brutal and vicious and spiteful. The best character work that I've seen from him yet. And he drew big reactions from the crowd. That's without even mentioning his awesome ring work with great creative spots and a good mix of power and agility. Good storytelling in carrying forward the the story of the prior match and Guerrero's desperation to earn back Eddie's respect, too. This has to be the best first two matches of any of the Starcades we've seen. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Honestly. Yeah. I can think of maybe a better single match starting out. Potentially, like, Ultimo versus Malenko was really good, mm-hmm. but I don't think we've had a single Starcade that had the, the two... Yeah, yeah. alone time into one extended match. Right. One unified storyline. It's really amazing. Eddie did a really good job of just totally dominating when... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not only was uh, Kidman tired, but like Eddie just seemed like he was being relentless in the beginning, and and it was it was very impactful to show his frustration. And it looked like maybe he kind of did a little rope a dope kind of thing just to get back in the Mm -hmm. match. Great one point five (laughs) matches. Yeah, (laughs) it's like you get a real feeling of of the strategy that Eddie has going into this match that. He's like, okay, this guy's tired. I'm going to try and do everything I can to wipe him out fast. Yeah. You get that perception from it so well. It's one of the better uh, portrayals of strategy, I think, in a, in a match. It's, it's really nicely done. I think the only downside for me to this match or matches together is that we don't get to see the rest of the LBO in any sense. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice to see them, mostly because the park is in the LBO. <laughs> I knew they were going there. <laughs> but you know, I like I like Silver King and um Hector Garza and Cyclope. Yeah. Mostly I like saying Cyclope to be fair, but yes. it's fun to say. <laughs> Going off of this show, Kidman has a seems to have a really nice run of strong matches. He gets to fight match people we've seen before, but he also gets to see Psychosis and Chava Guerrero get oh. their shots to the belt as well. Maybe Chava Guerrero yeah. Jr. at this point, but yeah. So that's the fun part of it. The other part's fortunately not as fun. The January curse continues, because this is WCW. Yep. Outside of all wrestling, just not not part of a show, Eddie Guerrero was in a really bad car accident oh, this on January happens. 1st. Oh, jeez. Yeah, January 1st, yeah. Between the night show that comes after this show and then the next one. Man. Yeah, it's really bad. Fortunately, that spells the end of the LWO as far as management is concerned, because the LWO... For all intents and purposes, was a group to build up the Eddie Guerrero Mysterio feud, essentially. Really, just Eddie Guerrero as a whole, trying to promote him that way. Mm-hmm. So once he's out, they really didn't have any idea what to do with that. So they quickly write it up story by having them officially align with WCW and disband the group. The extra sad stuff is Eddie Guerrero does come back, but unfortunately, he comes back too soon. Because we're at the point where Bischoff and company have already shown that if they have a grudge against you, they will exploit the 90-day no-compete clause in your contract, which means if you aren't able to compete in 90 days, no matter what the reason, they can fire you. The final little clause they stuck in contracts. Hmm. Note notably done to Six, aka oh, X-Pac, okay. who legit breaks his neck wrestling for WCW. They're mad behind the scenes at Nash and Hall, our National Hall have really lucrative contracts and they have good downside guarantees and basically it would cost them more to punish them. So he decided to send a FedEx package with a uh, pink slip to six while he's at home recovering from his neck being broken. Oh, jeez. Yeah. 
So Eddie Guerrero knows this and fortunately forced himself to come back too early. And he is not the condition he should be in when he comes back, which causes a lot of stuff he has to deal with and get over in the future because he's essentially forcing himself to work hurt because he's afraid for his job. Yeah. Not a fun story to recap, unfortunately. No. It's sad that the show we get to see the WO have this big moment is basically the end of them. Yeah. As part of the promo where they get the LWO to rejoin WCW, they mention, just offhand, because he obviously doesn't appear on the show, this is the January 4th Nitro, I believe, so three days after the accident, they mention that Aguero is in the hospital with a broken leg, and they imply that the bad guys has something to do with it, which is a really tacky way to yeah. incorporate actual things in real life into the story. So you could have gone without that, but yeah. yeah. We get a bizarre short black and white video. Clouds fly by, interspersed with shots of Goldberg and Kevin Nash's faces, and the two of them arguing or fighting while ethereal music plays. I swear if I was watching this in 1998, I would have thought that one or both of Goldberg and Nash had died. It just looked like an in-memoriam kind of video. Yeah, you're just waiting for their name and like a timestamp to be yeah. on there. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking with this one, but it did not accomplish whatever goal they had. <laughs> I guess they were just trying to get an attention grab. You know, I don't... I, <laughs> it's It makes no sense as a build-up, right? It's like... No, it is not. They chose the wrong epic uh, <laughs> music. Yeah. It's like too calm a music mm-hmm. and the wrong kind of footage to use. And the cloud thing is just like mystifying. Maybe they were going for like, this is like a battle of the gods or something, but it hey, that would explain the columns. That, there you go. Yeah. Well, Parthenon. That, that would make, make some sense. Yeah. The only way that music cue mixed with any video makes sense to me is if you were doing that for the last year's Darkade and it was like showing the NWO and Hogan, like, battering people, and, like, yeah, the theme, and then it's the dark black, and then you play that, and you show Sting, like, coming out. Right. So, showing the dark and light thing. That's the only way that makes any sense. Yeah, but for Goldberg versus Kevin Nash, it has nothing to do with anything, basically. Yes. <laughs> it's a promo so nice, they ran it twice. Yeah, they do it again later on. Yeah. Tony builds up Goldberg versus Nash, and we cut to our third match. So, our third match is Norman Smiley versus Prince Iakea. Referee for this match is Billy Silverman. Heenan corrects Tony's pronunciation of Norman Smiley, saying it more French, even though Smiley is British. Yeah, that bugged the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. Tony begs Tanay to say something intelligent because Heenan won't. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> it's been a while since we've seen Smiley, all the way back at Starcade 90 in the tag tournament. I liked his work then. He's gotten a tad sillier these days, but not as silly as he's going to get. (laughs) He does a little dance as he heads into the ring. Prince Iakea was, I understand, trained by Dean Malenko. Mm -hmm. And his gimmick name references King Curtis Iakea, who was a friend of Kevin Sullivan and plays the master in the Dungeon of Doom angle. (laughs) Why are they pronounced differently? Good question. I don't have an answer. I'm going to use Iakea, as that's what they keep calling him here. Iakea does a neat ceremonial dance in the ring. 
Ayakea has a strong start, including a neat roll out of a smiley whip attempt. I've never seen that used as a counter before. Yeah. Ayakea dragon screw leg whip has me missing Dusty. Yes. <laughs> He's probably laughing in the back right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John's depressed that Dusty is not on. Don't this. bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> you're allowed to. You're allowed to be sad. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Makes you human. Ayakea sends Smiley outside with a drop kick and does a forward flip off the apron onto him and gets him back in the ring for two counts off of that and a snap suplex. Smiley takes over using an eye poke and builds to a front side hammerlock suplex into a wraparound hammerlock hold. I have no idea what those are called, but they were really cool. <laughs> Smiley easily keeps control with holds and takedowns, but the announcers pretty much ignore the match in favor of a good but poorly timed discussion of Flair versus Bischoff until Smiley takes time to dance for a bit, which calls their attention back to the match at hand. Smiley gets an extended, turning scoop slam for two, and a triangle hold to the head, as Tanay builds up Smiley's submission wrestling skill and worldwide experience. Smiley punches free of an Ayakea sunset flip, but Ayakea grabs him again to complete for one in a nice spot. Smiley with strikes, a jumping double stomp, and a painful-looking submission that really bends Ayakea backwards, turning into a series of arm locks. Yeah, they they joked her in that hold that he's got every part of Ayakea locked up except his left leg. Actually, that's a later one. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah. There's so many mission holes. <laughs> he, yes, he does. I think it's out now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Somebody in the crowd hassles Smiley, so Smiley yells back and does a peck jiggle. The only guy I've seen do that other than Lex Luger. <laughs> I smell a challenge coming. <laughs> yes. Amazing suspended double underhook suplex by Smiley gets two and three quarters. Ayakea gets the ropes with his toes. Ayakea stops a cross arm breaker by clasping his hands together, then rolls Smiley over and strikes his way free. Smiley cuts short another comeback with a drop toll hold and dances, which gets massive cheers. The crowd appears to largely be here for the dancing, sadly enough. Yeah. Ayakea surprises Smiley with a great bridging suplex for two, but Smiley ties up virtually every one of Ayakea's limbs in a crazy standing submission hold. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. And the suplex is really good, too. Mm-hmm. Heenan asks if that's what Thanksgiving looks like at the Shivani house. Everyone going for a drumstick. <laughs> Tony says that some in his family just want Domino's pizza instead. That's kind of sad. Product placement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, gotta get that money somehow. They only had, like, a picture of the Noid pop up when he said that. That would have been great. Smiley transitions to pins for a couple one counts and a two count. Ayakea fights back and hits a spinning head drop to the thigh. Smiley sells like it was the crotch, and Ayakea protests that it was the abdomen, but Tony agrees with me that it was the thigh. <laughs> Smiley wrenches Ayakea's nose. The crowd is dead, so Smiley dances again. Smiley dodges the shoulder block in the corner, and Ayakea actually sops before hitting the post. Smartest man in wrestling? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Ayakea springboard crossbody from the apron, but Smiley rolls through for two. Smiley tries a backslide, but can't get leverage, so he slips around and fights for his Norman Conquest hold. Ayakea struggles, but Smiley finally locks it in and falls back. Ayakea can't reach the ropes and taps out to give Smiley the submission victory. Smiley dances again and has words with someone in the crowd again. Thoughts on this one? What I like about this match is it was very strong back and forth and also technical. Mm -hmm. They both seem to actually know the holds they're going for. 
that definitely seems to be slightly lopsided towards Smiley, who's definitely generally controlling the offense as far as like locking his opponent up and doing those kind of moves. But it's not to say that IK doesn't have his own. He has mm-hmm. suplexes, and the fact that he's counter-wrestling is impressive on his own, right? Yeah. The only real problem I have with the match is that, for a reason, so Smiley is the bad guy in this case, it's not clear. He's definitely supposed to be. I feel like the fact that he constantly keeps stopping, as as good as the match is going, he constantly stops to dance, which gets the crowd to cheer for him, is very distracting. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be, you know, a heelish thing, to, uh, or like or like Disco Inferno did uh, mm-hmm. in his early days, where it's like, he's always not taking his opponent seriously. Yeah, it was just a taunt, you know, he was just showing that yeah. he, you know, was... No, and I, yeah, what I mean is, though... But the first time he's done it, it's the second time, I guess, if you want to say it, he realizes that the crowd cheers this. So it's basically him like stopping a heels match to play a face, mm-hmm. at least as far as this personal crowd goes. And my, my bigger issue is just the pacing of it, because it's start, the start and stop part of it. I feel like if, you should done, if he'd done the dance the first time, saw the crowd react the way he did, you could have teased it a second time, like start and then yell at them and see if they get a reaction and then lock in a hold or do a strike. The problem is I feel like he's not fully playing a heel. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a reaction thing, like you were sort of implying that he's doing it because the crowd is not reacting, so he does it. Yeah. I guess I'm more mad at the crowd for only really reacting to that, say, for a few things. Because mm-hmm. there's a brief moment where they actually, he gives a hold and the crowd cheers. And even the announcers say they, they appreciate the action. Mm-hmm. She could have cut the dancing part of it out. It'd been really, really good match. It's still strong. I don't take too much away from it. It's just the pacing is off because of that, and especially following Eddie Guerrero's heel wrestling. Yeah, seeing this in contrast is maybe him not being used to being that character and just feeling a little defensive. So he does the to hear the dance to get cheers and attention. But it's still a good match. Well, I mean, I chalk it. Up. I don't know if if Smiley or Smith. Smiley or <laughs> whatever yeah. we're calling him is wrestling all that much anymore. Again, I don't know what's coming up to this, so I can just say, you know, we haven't seen him since 1990, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, he's playing one character and tries to get, you know, whatever screen time he is, so he's going to ham it up a bit. Mm-hmm. They didn't drag things out, but it was a long match. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they probably could have resolved it a little bit quicker without some of the other antics. Mm-hmm. I really did like Ayuke's uh, fighting style. A lot of the th- moves he, he did had a certain uh, whip to them, or like his strikes mm-hmm. look almost like a different martial arts or or something. You know, it made him unique, mm-hmm. different than any of the wrestlers I've uh, I've seen on Starcade. So um, I did enjoy, I was more interested in seeing more from him than I was uh, Smiley. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I've seen other Ayukea matches, and he can be good, but this is the first time that I've, because of what you were saying with like the counter wrestling stuff, Al, and mm-hmm. and and the the interesting style of his moves and everything, John. This is the first match where I've been like, I can see that you were trained by Dean Milenko. Yeah, I can see where you got like an awareness of all these different move types and everything. Mm-hmm. I really liked this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool to see Spiley's style here, very submission focused, with a lot of. Very creative and interesting holds. With Ayakea more focused on striking and power and acrobatics, it gave the match a very varied style. 
I maybe would have liked to see a little more of Iakea, like you guys were saying, uh, getting a chance to control. As anytime he gets offense, it gets stopped pretty quickly. But it made Smiley look awesome. So if that was their goal, bravo. I really liked the ending. It looked legit. Focus on Smiley fighting to lock the hold on. Once he did, that was it. Iakea didn't get to hang out in the finishing hold and just keep resisting. He was just done. It really built up the Norman Conquest as a powerful finishing hold, too. But yeah, I was very annoyed at the crowd during this. They seemed to ignore everything but the dancing. And I was liking this, so I just kept wanting them to cheer. I really want to see Norman Smiley versus Dean Malenko now. Mm-hmm. That would be a really fascinating match, I think. So here, you can maybe break the tie in this. Bob and I are a bit divided on the whole Norman Conquest move name thing. So I understand his name is Norman, and so there's maybe not a lot of things you can do with it. I just feel like the 11th century invasion of England is not the most topical thing to name a move after. That's a super famous historical event. I know. I understand that. I'm just, I don't know. If they like referencing old things on Starcade and WWE in general, this is probably the oldest thing they have referenced. <laughs> I, li- I like the move. I just, I'm not sold on the well, name. It's better than uh, pulling from like Normandy, you know, storming of Normandy, World oh, War II. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the no, beaches yeah. of Normandy you're yeah, talking that's, about. Yeah, okay, that's, no, I, I get gotcha. you. Norman Conquest Chicken Wings sounds like a recipe. <laughs> it does. <laughs> or like yes. a food chain, you know, like it's like something you would have show up at like at a Ren Fest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that hasn't been done, that should totally be done. Mm-hmm. That, that, that would be good. I, I'm just not a fan of any chicken wing finish. <laughs> no. No, they hurt. Oh, okay. I mean, done to you, done to you from, then. from your experience, yeah. then. <laughs> but, I mean, like, it's also, it's it's a funny name for, I mean, I, I don't know what you would call it, really, but. It's interesting, because the chicken wing sounds like a silly name for the move, but then you see the move, and you're like, yeah, that that's a fairly logical thing to name this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will, on a serious note, add, so as they're really fighting the, the finish sequence, you can really see that IAK is trying to fight out of it. Mm-hmm. And the point of saying, at the very end, he's trying to reach the ropes, trying to roll and grab the ropes. And Norman, to finish him off, locks his free arm up as well, mm-hmm. and that's when he taps out. Yeah. Pulls all hope away, basically. It's a very detailed ending, yeah. which, which was very cool to see. And I like submission holds in wrestling generally but a lot of them is just like you get the hold on and then they fight in it and fight in it and fight in it and eventually they tap out yeah with this one it was just no the fight was about getting the hold locked in yeah and once it was locked in fully it's just like i'm not escaping so yeah i'm gonna tap before this guy does serious damage to me Mm -hmm. i just like the extra touch that yeah that's actually is fighting the whole way and then once basically once his last chance to get away is removed he taps out Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of like MMA fights when they get those holds in. They know that their career—it's not career-ending per se, but it can mean that they're out for six months. If, right. You know. So you're gonna you're gonna surrender fast. Yeah. yeah. If you know you can't escape immediately because it could actually damage you severely. Oh yeah. You know, so it's yeah, it feels very legitimate for it to do that. It makes me wonder so how some of these other submissions. I mean, like I, I haven't seen any bear hug. Bear hugs, yeah. submissions in a while, so <laughs> it's a good thing. You will. You will. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great match of two technically wrestlers versus the crowd. Yep. <laughs> I put it. 
based on the strength of a match like this, Norman Smiley's heel character really sort of takes off. He gets a nice mid-card push. Going next in a match against Travel Guerrero Jr., where he gets to be extra deviously, deviously evil, as I was trying to say. Okay. On the flip side, unfortunately, Prince Ikea's performance does not help him, and he's not on a pay-per-view for most of Night 99. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. Unfortunately, he has to go through a character rebranding, which Bob was aware of, oh, yeah. to get back on the shows. Jeez. But we'll cover that when that happens. We cut to the stage, and Scott Hall shows up, wearing an Outsiders t-shirt. He slowly walks down the entrance ramp, doing almost parodies of his old poses. Someone holds up a giant NWO Wolfpack credit card sign that was slightly strange. Hall gets into the ring, as Tanay tells us that he's been a man without a faction. Hall takes a microphone and hesitates a couple times, but finally speaks. Hey, yo! I think you gotta agree with me that being in D.C. for the holidays is just too... And, uh, it's no secret that, uh, 1998 ain't been the best year of Scott Hall's life in and out of the ring. And, uh, I got nobody to blame for that but myself. I lost everything I ever cared about. That's okay. Um, later on tonight, a guy I used to look at is my big brother, Kevin Nash. He's got the opportunity of a lifetime. We rode up and down the road together, and we used to talk about what it would be like to be the main man in wrestling. Well, Kev, you told me a while back that I had to prove myself to you. And a lot of people in buildings all around the country been telling me I got to prove something to them. I ain't the smartest guy in the world, but uh, I ain't got to prove nothing to Kev. Well, you're still negative, so you definitely proved that. I ain't got to prove nothing to you. There's only one guy that I got to prove something to. And he's six foot six. More handsome than ten movie stars. And his name is Scott Hall. So I can't wait to kiss 1998 goodbye because I guarantee you that 1999 is my year. I'm going to be partying because it's 1999. Mm-hmm. I'm not normally a fan of Scott Hall promos, but 
this was actually pretty great, I thought. Mm. It felt like a guy acknowledging his problems but being defiant in the face of them, maybe for good, maybe for ill. Once he was past the catchphrases at the very start, it felt quite real to me. And I liked the mix of concepts. He feels like he's opening up to the fans, but he's also saying that they aren't the ones that he cares about judging him. It's an interesting and complicated promo. I'm confused a little bit because he does, he does say he doesn't have to prove anything to Kevin Nash, but then says he wants to prove something to Kevin Nash. Or so that feels like. No. Well, it feels like, like more of a turn at the end. No, know. he's proving something to himself. Well, I mean, the very end when he's talking about Kevin Nash, I don't know, it feels, he doesn't, it doesn't directly contradict himself, but it feels like it's, it's like a turn away from needing to, needing one to be his, you know, with his approval and being around him, but then actively promoting the guy at the same time. It's confusing to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it was an interesting promo. <laughs> in that, I'm not going to say it was unnecessary <laughs> because it did, mm-hmm. it did wake up the crowd. The crowd did cheer at, at a couple points. And I, I was trying to find out where he was going to go with this. Yeah. He just seemed like he was challenging himself and just basically said, this isn't the year for me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, so he could have came as you probably wasn't expecting me to come out here, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, it's it's a good promo, but it is confusing about why it's on the show. Mm-hmm. This has not really anything to do with anything that's actually going on tonight. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's foreshadowing. Right. But I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that's why it's there for this foreshadowing. Yeah. You just didn't need him to cut a promo to foreshadow. Obviously, for certain reasons, we need to know that Scott Hall is in the arena tonight, but we don't necessarily need him to walk out and cut a promo to do that. Yeah, I think for me, the the story we'll get to as the show ends feels stronger if there's no buildup of him at all. Mm-hmm. So when he does whatever happens, it's like, where's Scott Hall come from? As opposed to, well, we know Scott Hall's in the back. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a good segment, but maybe... It would have been a good segment on a Nitro. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be on the Starcade. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Tony says it was one of Hall's most memorable interviews. I'm pretty sure someone would have had to ask him a question for it to be an interview. Oh, he was interviewing himself. Oh, there you go. That's the only person <laughs> you need. It wasn't for the fans. <laughs> yeah. This is just one of those things like, we marked this day in history. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tete-a-tete, just self. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we go to a video package covering the Bam Bam Bigelow versus Scott Hall feud. Um, sorry, I mean, it's actually about Nash versus Goldberg. It just takes forever to get there. <laughs> because first, it has to show the setup for an earlier Bigelow versus Nash versus Goldberg match, which started with Bigelow beating up Scott Hall in the backstage area. I actually thought for a moment that this was live when it started up, since we just saw Hall cut a promo and leave, until I realized Hall was in a different outfit. (laughs) Another reason why I don't need the Scott Hall promo. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. Aside from being confusing, this is notable only because we get a clip of Terry Taylor in a suit setting up that match. I haven't seen him since, I think, Starcade 91, the first Battle Bowl show? Uh, Yes, he's the Peter Eyes man, 1990s, whatever. Yes, yeah. Terrence Taylor, yeah. Yeah. As we briefly mentioned last episode while discussing the Sting versus Hogan non-fast count, he's a backstage agent now. Otherwise, this was just confusing and did very little to set up Nash versus Goldberg. Not very good video packages tonight. Well, and it's funny, too, is the sole story they're, they're doing with Bam and Bigelow is that he's supposedly not working for the company. 
Ah. But like he keeps running in, attacking Goldberg and trying to interfere. But then we watch a video package where he's in a sanctioned match mm-hmm. with them, and like then later it's like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, <laughs> he works here. I think people we haven't seen in a long time. Ben Bigel, we haven't seen since what? What track is that? Oh 86? my gosh! Yeah, when was that one? Eighty six or eighty seven? Somewhere around there. I want to say eighty six, but it's probably eighty seven. Yeah, it's man. one of the two scaffold match shows uh, that that narrows it down a little. It's been a while. Yeah. Our fourth match is Ernest the Cat Miller with Sonny Ono versus Perry Saturn. The referee for this match is Mickey J. Ernest Miller was hired off the strength of teaching Eric Bischoff's son karate. Yes. He was brought in as a karate guy as part of a lovely feud that we can't wait to cover, which involves him and Wrath and Mortis and Glacier. Oh my gosh. On the epic battles for the ages. At this point, however, he is past all that. He is now a heel karate guy managed by Sonny Ono. Because apparently, if you're Asian or have any Asian connection, Sonny Ono must be orbiting around you in some way <laughs> in WCW. Uh, that few came off of Ono breaking away from young Kazayashi and using Ernest Miller to attack him and get his way with him. Which brings in Perry Saturn, who comes up to defend the guy and help him out. In turn, Ernest Miller... Keeps attacking him and causing them to lose matches. So this is the big blow off for the story, where Ernest Miller is the cheating, sniveling heel, constantly bragging and taking people out. Ono has a mustard yellow suit and black shirt with white sunglasses. That look should not work at all, but somehow it actually kind of did. <laughs> yeah. Aside from being a three-time world champion in karate and once in kickboxing. As Al mentioned, Ernest the Cat Miller was also Garrett Bischoff's karate instructor. Kind of like the short tiger robe that he had. Yeah. Heenan's midway through a sentence when Cat grabs a microphone for a promo. Cat tells the crowd to shut up, and Heenan apologizes and does so. (laughs) That cracked me up. He feels no one paid attention to him. This is what he feels he has to do to get noticed. Shut up! Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know... Those people should be glad to see me out here. John is shaking his head. <laughs> For once tonight, you get to see the greatest in action. And I got to be the greatest athlete to ever step foot in this ring right here. I see you people know talent. God, look, you all love me. But right now, I got to whoop somebody. When I get through whooping this guy, you people gonna know why I'm the best. Now get him out here. Did they already know that? I thought that was established. <laughs> well, they know he's the best. They just don't know why. Oh. Yeah. Basic heel promo here. It makes his arrogance clear. Nothing really special. I did, however, like when he claimed the crowd loved him and posed while they booed mm-hmm. and just pretended that they were cheering. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. It did what it had to do, but I really don't know why he had to cut a promo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of all it's worth saying about it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, really. I, I like that he got a reaction from being a bad guy. It's so in the crowd reacting yeah. the way they're supposed to for him. Yes. It's nice. I do like, I don't know if you're not to play it, uh, as part of his other promo continuing from this. It's like, at least once or twice, the crowd is making zero noise, and he yells at them to shut up. <laughs> I've missed that. It's like, shut up, voices in my head. <laughs> Maybe it's Randy Orton. 
Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I think they were trying to fill a void from Dusty not being there and failed. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't know why he's the best yet? No. I mean, no. He looks the best, obviously, but I don't know why he's the best. Okay. (laughs) We'll have to wait and see if you change your mind. Perry Saturn's incredibly annoying siren brings him in. He's wearing a backwards bandana and a chain vest, which looks interesting. <laughs> At least the weird little fringe of hair is gone. Would be better if he wore chainmail on his head? No. Oh. No, it would not. Too late to tell Scott Steiner that. Then. Yes, it's too late. <laughs> a little. Heenan points out that Sonny Ono has a pinfall win over Saturn, and Tony asks if he's doing PR for Ono now. Heenan says he wouldn't do that, no matter how much money Ono has in Japan, and Argentina, and Swiss bank accounts. <laughs> This is the same guy you tried to sell a a show to. Yes, yes, that's true. Cat takes the microphone again and tells Saturn that, by law, he has to give Saturn five seconds to leave before he rips him apart with his bare hands, then turns his back, counting. Saturn winds up the whole time, and Heenan jokes that the cat might end up on the south lawn of the White House. Ono tries to warn Cat, but Cat reaches five and turns around, and Saturn nails him in the jaw. Nice Popeye punch. It's yes. a very quick patch. <laughs> I actually would have liked that. That would have been hilarious, hilarious, yes. Cat rolls out and yells at the fans as they taunt him. Cat stalls outside and insists that Saturn stay back. Saturn turns to talk to the ref, so Cat slides in, but doesn't quite reach Saturn for this ambush. Cat sheepishly looks up at Saturn, and Saturn stomps him. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cat slips free, does a karate pose, and rolls out of the ring. Heenan and Tanay build up Saturn's legit past as an army ranger and say that Cat's martial arts tournament wins aren't going to impress Saturn. Back in, Cat offers a handshake, bows, and kneels before Saturn. Saturn kicks him in the chest, but Cat rakes his eyes, sweeps his leg, and chokes him in various ways. Cat argues with Jay after a two count and Saturn levers Cat into a few two-counts as Tanay points out that Cat seemingly has no defense against Saturn's mat wrestling. Cat rolls out, and Ono lectures him on letting Saturn wrestle him instead of keeping to his strikes, which is actually a pretty good manager moment there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He earns that yen. Back in, Cat nails a sidekick, but wastes time celebrating and gets two. Cat lands strikes, but Saturn keeps rebounding off the ropes to fire back. Saturn counters a spin kick into a back suplex in a great spot. Mm -hmm. Saturn gets two off a swift spinning suplex, hits a swinging neckbreaker, and goes up. But Cat dodges a jumping axe handle and hits a sidekick. Both are down, and Cat rolls on top for two. Cat elbows free of a Saturn suplex and hits a big sidekick and beckons to Ono. Ono takes off his coat and gets in. Tony wonders why they're doing this, since Cat will clearly be DQ'd if it works. Good question. I, again, don't have an answer. (laughs) Sonny charges across the ring and lands quite a nice flying kick to Cat, as Saturn escaped just in time. Ono, by the way, was himself a bantamweight world champion from 1975 to 1981. Cat angrily gets up and kicks Sonny to knock him flying, but Saturn hits the Death Valley driver on Cat for the three count and the win. Saturn celebrates and leaves, and Cat brushes off Ono as he attempts to apologize. Thoughts on this one? It's one of those matches where 
if you're judging it by the first half, it's really not that strong because there's all the promo buildup, the silly wind-up punch that takes forever. As funny as it is, mm-hmm. the I'm going to leave, just kidding, I'm coming back. But, and then it still takes a while to quite get into an actual even flow of the match because in theory, with the story they're going for, the striker versus wrestler sort of contrast is good. But I think it's really this point that Ernest Miller is not a strong enough actual wrestler to be able to go with it fast mm-hmm. enough. So it's the more awkward, realistic wrestler versus striker thing than an actual dynamic. If that, should, if that makes yeah. any sense. Ironically, this is two matches and two years in Starcades with Saturn that took a while to get to an even flow. That's true. <laughs> I'd be mad at that joke, but I have a worse one later, so <laughs> I can't be too mad at that. Um, <laughs> once it gets going, there are good moves. Molly, I think the only thing I would take points off for if it's the point scale thing is the timing on the axe handle and then kick thing was a bit off. Yeah, he does he doesn't kick him quite right. I don't think he was supposed to interrupt the actual move, but he's clearly supposed to hit him faster as soon as he lands, yeah. I really wish he just interrupted the actual move. Yeah. Do a do a round kick, hit him in the chest. I don't want to kick him with a face coming off that yeah. break his jaw, probably, but yeah, I would definitely just actually done the counter one. Mm-hmm. Especially given that like two matches ago we saw drop kick out of midair. And it's like, oh yeah, you can do that, can't you? Yeah. My uh final note I wrote for was a good nitro match, but why is it here? Mm-hmm. And my biggest disappointment is that Ernest Miller takes a death fly driver and goes down, but doesn't land on his feet like a cat should. <laughs> See, totally had a worse joke. Oh, okay. Boo. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Meow. Very interesting choice of opponents for this match. I think they're just trying to change things up and trying to find things that appeal to a larger crowd. Cat's kind of refreshing in that now we have different type of heels. <laughs> <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, we can see like all the different ways you could be a heel. I did like the striker versus, you know, technique versus technique. Uh, and uh, there was, like you said, a good managerial moment there, which I thought was a nice mm-hmm. touch. I'm not used to seeing Sony Ono give those things. <laughs> yeah, like, wait, what? We've seen him manage in a lot of different matches, and this is the first time that I've said, oh, that was a good manager moment. <laughs> well, he's usually just taunting the whole time or trying to yeah. distract, and I'm glad that they kind of went that way, because he gets kind of annoying, like in the New Japan versus WCW. It was... Uh, <laughs> Seven Sonny Ono manager matches in a row. Yeah, yeah. so... <laughs> there's a segment in the middle where um, Saturn's going up against rope, and uh, the cat just kind of walks into a bunch... <laughs> And mm-hmm. then, you know, they just go back and forth a few times, which I thought was kind of nice, showing that they could both be strikers, so so to speak. And then, at the end, predictably, <laughs> you have interference that backfires. And I thought that was just a, a nice finish for the match and kind of felt more like in line with what I would expect from Sonny Ono. <laughs> yeah. He disappointed you by being effective. So when he messed things up, you're like, oh, good. That's what I was hoping for. Right. That was the only part about this match that I didn't like was that he just wasn't playing his role to its fullest until the very end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This had some pretty good comedy, but considering how short it was, for me, there was way too much stalling in there. Yes. I think the general story kind of works. Cap being overconfident and not having his guard up, so Saturn just manhandles him. But once Cat gets his head in the game, he holds his own until his temper brings about his downfall. 
It just feels a little weird to me just how outclassed Cat looks until late in the match. Heck, even to the end, the sidekick, which does look good, is really the only move that keeps working for him, which makes Saturn look kind of a little bit dumb. Third time that Cat goes for the exact same kick, you should probably see it coming. <laughs> if it helps, that would become his finisher. Yeah, it's the feliner, isn't it? Yes. Oh. <laughs> That's the right reaction to that name. A, pro- a proper Norman sigh of exasperation. Yes, I thought it was going to have something to do with like the tin roof. <laughs> and they do realize that martial artists learn throws too, right? Not just strikes. I liked a lot of Saturn's counters and mat work, though. He looked really good here. But the match as a whole was just a little too slow and uneven for me. It did have fun moments, but not enough of them. Comparing the immediate future of these two is an interesting study of highs and lows. So the high point being Perry Saturn gets engaged in a lengthy memorable feud with Chris Jericho, which are some of his more famous stuff. The flip side is Ernest Miller's has very exciting feuds against wrestlers like Scott Norton and Disco Inferno. Oh, those sound like they'd be your favorite feuds, Al. <laughs> yeah. He has one more, but I'll mention that when the relevant person comes up as well. We go to the stage, and Mean Gene wishes everyone in D.C. a happy and prosperous 1999, again several days early, and brings in Ric Flair, who comes out in a great sparkly silver robe. Good to see the robes again. Mean! Woo! By God! Gene! We have finally arrived! Woo! Rick Flair, very quickly, I'm going to get to the meat of the matter. Earlier on, we got the news. The other horsemen have been barred from the building They had to restrain Steve Monga McMichael. He was taken away by officials. And apparently you've agreed to all of the stipulations, including not having the horsemen here and the fact that Eric Bischoff could have the NWO black and white here. Understand this. Bischoff today still runs WCW. He still calls the shots. I met with Arn. I met with Benoit. I met with Malenko. I told Mongo, it makes no difference. We're in the MCI Center. I don't care who's here. Bischoff, get to the ass kick tonight. Simple. I, I think you've got a lot of people that would like to see that. And me, Gene, when I say that we beat up Bischoff, I mean we beat up Bischoff piece by piece. We stomp his arm. We strangle his neck. We bite his fingers. Wow. We gouge his eyes. We kick him in the... You know it. We put the finger four on him. We squeeze it until the bone goes... Gish. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've felt it. And with a little luck, but by the grace of God, you, my friend, will find out what it means to be a jet flying, limousine riding, kiss stealing, wheeling dealing, son of a gun, because tonight you're going to bleed, you're going to sweat, oh yeah, and you're going to pay the price of wrestling tradition. Woo! 
response of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. No horseman in the building tonight. He and Eric Bischoff head on here tonight as part of Starcade. <laughs> Not really any surprise that Ric Flair cuts a very fun promo, especially when he loses his dang mind like this. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this one. Flair does a pretty great job of still laying out the story's important notes in the process. Bischoff's still powerful in the company, and he's stacking the deck, leaving Flair without his allies and Bischoff with plenty who could come to help him. Good energy and good storytelling. It's Ric Flair. Well, at least we're getting this instead of uh, a promo package built the match. <laughs> oh. oh, God. I hope they find that owl that they let in there. <laughs> <laughs> just that, that, that intro for that promo is just like... Oh, yeah, here's the energy level <laughs> dialed up to 11. <laughs> Honestly, if it wasn't, if, if I was just listening to the words and then he didn't have the woos and everything else, I'm like, feels like he's channeling Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's completely bonkers. It is bonkers. As a, as a promo. Yeah. Absolutely. And so the noise that a bone makes when it's breaking is. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. I thought it sounded more like a crack myself, but you know. <laughs> Not from the inside, Bob. Oh, there you go. Okay. Mm. The ultimate woo ear uh, <laughs> finally <laughs> leaves the stage. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh. Oh, the ultimate woo ear. That is awesome. Man, if. If Flair had been a face, um, there's a brief time they're both in the company together in WDF. That would have been great for the tag team. Oh my gosh, that would have been a terrific ultimate tag name. Warriors. The Ultimate Warriors. Oh man, yes. Absolutely. We cut to a very lengthy video package covering the entirety of Eric Bischoff's NWO-related storyline from 1996 to 1998. This was very well produced, but it's longer and far more complete than it needed to be. It goes on for three full minutes before it even reaches Bischoff versus Flair. We see the Flair family again for the first time since Starcade 1993. Lots of blasts from the past tonight. Their appearance doesn't go quite as well for them this time, with Bischoff beating up David and kissing Flair's wife Beth. It's quite a slick video package, and it does a good job of making Bischoff incredibly hateable, but only a quarter of its near four-minute runtime is actually spent on building the match tonight. I, I was very annoyed by this one. <laughs> yeah, just think, all that time they're wasting could have gone to that Saturn-Ernest Miller match. Really made it come together. I mean, or something else on the show. <laughs> yeah, like with the actual match it's building up, yeah. Yeah. I think I got a developed heartburn while watching it. I was just getting like a little anxious. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I think I have it now. <laughs> we cut backstage to see Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell taunting Conan about the Wolfpack being dead. Kind of odd to say, given that their leader is having a world title shot tonight. Threatening Conan, Steiner lets slip that he promised Luger that he wouldn't attack Luger, so when Luger runs in to make peace, Conan is suspicious of him. Luger tells him, you gotta chill out, man. I'm cool. And scene. <laughs> Not sure why that was on the show. Well, that's important for Nitro. Ah. Uh, of course, we gotta watch that now. Yeah. I will say, in a few times I'll say, and Steiner just got Steiner's defense. The point he's trying to make with the Wolfpack is that they're down two members some storyline and real life purposes at this point. Mm-hmm. So they were a bigger group and they're down to basically 
like three people. Yeah, fair, fair enough. But one of them may be world champion at the end of the night. Right. So, well, he he doesn't believe he's going to win. Yeah. Our fifth match is NWO Black and White members Brian Adams and Scott Flash Norton with Vincent versus Fit Finlay and Lightning Foot Jerry Flynn. <laughs> I love that name, Lightning Foot. Yes, <laughs> with Jerry Flynn's mullet. Referee for this match is Scott Dickinson. It feels kind of weird that we're seeing Jerry Flynn for our show well before the much more famous Jerry Lynn. Yes. <laughs> much more famous and much better. It's worth noting that Flynn is another legit martial artist in a string of them tonight. His Wikipedia page claims that he came, quote, close to beating Goldberg in a series of matches in 1998. I got curious, so I took a look at several of them. I mean, sure, in the same way that one could get really close to beating a grizzly bear before being mauled. <laughs> okay, to be fair, he does land some nice kicks and get a hold or two, and I'm sure there's some matches that I didn't see, but still, no. He did actually get more offense in the Mongo, though. Oh, that's good. So. Seems like they have like a lot of new blood. I mean, they may not be new, but like a lot of first-timers. Mm-hmm. Seems like they're just trying to you know, make a name for themselves. I think that's a good use of Starcade. <laughs> For non-stars to be Starcade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like they don't have four different shows a week, and you get from them other yeah. places. A-, a star is made. There you go. In Starcade. They mistook it as Star Made instead of Starcade, yeah. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> NWO theme count, one. As the teams enter, Tony says that they've just received a note from the WCW Executive Committee informing them that the Goldberg vs. Nash match will now be a no-disqualification match. Tanay says he noticed the committee was behind closed doors debating for a while today, and Heenan says Tanay was listening with a glass at the door. (laughs) Tony wonders who pushed for the no-disqualification stipulation. Brian Adams has very strange facial hair with pointy sideburns that look like little arrows pointing to the sides of his mouth. <laughs> not really a fan of that. Why not? Well, it's for the ladies. He's like, hey, right here. Oh, okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you heard me. <laughs> I thought it was for, like, directing food. <laughs> it's a reminder for himself what he uh, what he uses Hamburger. to eat. Oh, oh, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, the real problem until then of sticking the hamburger in his ear. Mm. Mm -hmm. Finlay does well against Adams. (laughs) I gotta say, that was one of the weirdest comments you've ever made. Good, I'm glad. (laughs) Okay. Hey, right here. There's arrows. Finlay does well against Adams to start, eating a massive clothesline, but returning his own jumping clothesline and elbow drop for two. A missed corner charge lets Adams tag Norton, who beats Finlay up and hits a big power slam. Flynn saves with a kick. Finlay slaps Flynn's back as he's ducking back through the ropes, which apparently counts as a tag now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Norton blows right through a double clothesline from the two and clotheslines both down. Flynn dodges a corner charge and hits a spinning wheel kick, using the ropes to flip himself safely outside. Danae mistakenly calls Flynn Thunderfoot instead of Lightningfoot. No one really cares. No, not really. Norton tags Adams. Flynn ignores a test of strength offer and hits kicks and chops, but Vincent sneaks in a blow from behind so Adams can hit a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for two. Flynn is reaching Lugaresque volume levels here. Yes. Flynn counters a couple Adams punches with a hold and kick in a neat little martial arts sequence. 
Finley tagged in, and he keeps up the attack with forearm strikes. Adams counters a back body drop attempt with a pile driver and tags Norton. He batters Finley, getting two off a neckbreaker. Finley tries for a tag, but Flynn stands there looking bored until he realizes what Finley is doing and finally reaches out. <laughs> Norton drags Finley away and trades off with Adams to continue the beatdown, though Finley does get two off a DDT. Punch to Adams' balls gives Finley time to tag Flynn, and Adams tags Norton. Flynn lands several kicks and hits a neat spinning enziguri variant. Adams in with a double axe handle, but Finley in to team up for a double clothesline with Flynn to Adams. Finley and Adams brawl outside, and Flynn kicks an interfering Vincent, but Norton clotheslines Flynn and powerbombs him for the three count and the win. NWO theme count, two. Tony calls this a big win. Really? It's not every day you beat Jerry Flynn. It, it, it's like twice a week you beat Jerry Flynn. Yeah. But not every day. I think he was just talking about Norton. But like it being a big win for Norton? Because, no, because Norton's big. Oh, okay. I get you. <laughs> There's a weird blank second or two in the video as the replay ends. I'm not quite sure what happened there. guess just something wasn't quite timed right. Yeah. Thoughts on this one? It's a decent match. The high points for me are pretty limited, honestly. Um, I would say it's really just the moments where you see Adams and Norton really showing off their pretty legitimate power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That said, it's a little weird that, as you mentioned, a pile driver is used and not a no pin attempted, and then a neckbreaker is used and has a pin attempted. Mm-hmm. It's like, that seems backwards. When Flynn's actually in the ring just doing his kicks, I thought they looked good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He clearly knew he knew how to do those correctly. Yeah. Other than that, I don't have a lot to it. My, my note was that there's just no oomph to the match. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really not sure why it's on this show. <laughs> it's not like so bad that I want it off the show. It's just, it has to have some sort of significance to a bigger story or something. It's just, we need nine matches, and here's an extra match. It's a bad thing that we're saying that multiple times tonight. It is, too. yes. Yeah. This is one more match than the previous show, and it's definitely at least one match too many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, maybe that's the NWO part of the show. <laughs> True, they don't have a black and white NWO match, and it's such a huge part of events that they have to. So It's in the logo. Yeah. <laughs> it would feel a little weird if it was WSW NWO Starcade and you didn't have... Well, you have the Wolfpack, they're NWO. They didn't say yeah. which NWO it is. Yeah, true. I just like Norton. <laughs> they, they really played up his power in the thing. You know, you like mm-hmm. basically... People are trying to tag and, and take him down with teamwork, and he just basically takes out the team <laughs> like mm-hmm. multiple times throughout the match. And uh, it seemed like more of a showcase match for him than most to anyone else. A lot of the other stuff, I was like, okay, when are they going to tag Norton? When are they bring him back in? Yeah. Because that's when the heavy hitting stuff happens. I mean, either it's to him or he's dealing it out. Mm-hmm. They did a good job, I was saying, with the kicks and everything. There's a martial artist theme <laughs> that's sort of peppered throughout yeah. the whole night. I mean, Eric Bushroff clearly booking this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> true. All we need is a motorcycle segment, and we'll know for a fact he's booking it. <laughs> true. But yeah, you know, I mean, I guess if there was a running theme for tonight, there's a, it's always a wrestler, or at least a striker versus a wrestler on some level, unless it's the first match, or first one and a half matches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really, the only thing real notable about this was Norton for me. And, and the commentators do a really good job of building him up, too, when he's when he's making those moves. If Norton was a big, important character, 
like as a overall, that would absolutely be oh, because this is why we need the showcase for. Yeah, it. but I don't know that. But it's, <laughs> yeah, no, not that I'm telling you that. <laughs> yeah, looking at it in a vacuum, no, it's I like oh yeah, they're building up this Norton guy pretty good. Yeah, no, I understand. No, I get that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Al's not, I'm sure, but. Which part? Because you don't like Scott Norton. I don't hate Scott Norton. I just... <laughs> I like Scott Norton pretty well, so... <laughs> I'm always confused about the brick pattern on his tights. That is true. I don't know. That's that's a little weird. I don't understand that. But I think Flash, I think Brick Wall. Yeah. Have we had um, Brian Adams in the show before? Because... I don't believe so. I legit mix up Brian Adams and Brian Clark all the time. Oh, he, yes, me too. And Brian Clark, I know we had. Brian Clark's the guy that almost got his neck flattened by vader i believe yeah he's had sits up with a splash yes, yeah and got murdered yeah no i believe this is our first time seeing brian adams okay yeah this was okay but i'm with you guys there's there's no sense of any importance it's just a match there's some good power moves from adams and norton and flynn's kicks were quite varied and nice honestly sometimes better than cats flynn just really doesn't have much in the way of personality other than martial arts noises he's got moves but nothing binding it all together Finlay just kind of seems to be there, too, though he feels like the dependable guy you put in to kind of keep everything going, mm-hmm. which works well enough. He's lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's not much in the way of a story to this one or anything to raise it up. It's just a generic tag match, and like you, Al, I'm confused why this is even on this show. Flair wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know we don't, we're trying to get too much of a fancy booking, but I feel like if you could have just, no offense to Scott Norton. Because he is a still a alive and generally terrifying person. <laughs> Even now. Given the interview importance, I could easily see if you'd swap them out for Scott Steiner and both Bagwell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two legit and big important people in NWO and had them win a tag match. Yeah. That would be slightly more important. And why are they not fighting Wolfpack members? Uh, you have, I mean, I get Conan has a match later, but why does why isn't Conan's match Conan and Luger versus... Either these two or Bagwell and Steiner. It's yeah. like the entire focus of this year has been, as we mentioned at the start of the show, at least a large focus of this year has been Wolfpack yeah. versus Black and White. Right. What do we not get on this show? Wolfpack versus Black and yeah. White. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you're if you're trying to make a match to make the, that story important, do some version where you have Buff and Lex involved in the match. Mm-hmm. And since Luger is not involved in anything, put Luger in there. And the problem num- numerically is that there are only three people officially in the Wolfpack at this point. But you have the unofficial fourth person, which is Disco Inferno. So you have this, not that I want more Disco Inferno matches, but... I was going to say, now I see why they didn't do it. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Disco probably pitched that, and they're like, oh, yeah, um, hey, quick, you and Finley, you and Fling out there. Yeah. Well, they could have made it more interesting and have... Wolfpack and a, a, a NWO member on the same tag team, and that not that would and be then not only are they inner fight, you know, fighting that they might pull it together enough to to win the match and then beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just such a weird thing. There's like there is no story going on in this match. It's just no. It's just there to be a match. Yeah. Maybe it's just set there to set the tone so the next match would be that much better. It's the the pace car for the uh, yeah. Good show. planning. <laughs> There's not a whole lot I can talk about with Norton and Adams without talking about other stuff, so we'll skip them for now. Jerry Flynn uh, would get a personal feud later in the year with the person I mentioned before, Ernest Miller, which 
the Battle of Karate, which theoretically could be interesting. Fair, fair, fair enough, yeah. It would be very personal for you because Ernest Miller would cut off his ponytail. <gasps> I know. <laughs> Did he donate it to, like, kids that need I hair? I so. Yeah. Locks of love. Sorry for not knowing that immediately. <laughs> Probably would have thrown it at them. <laughs> uh, the flip side, Finley would go from being the strong technical wrestler we see to going the direction Bob will not like, which is the hardcore direction. Oh, yeah. That's 99 for you at Finley. The Red Clover. Yes. Fear the Clover. <laughs> Heenan is just asking how we'd like to be a fly on the wall of Eric Bischoff's dressing room when Bischoff's music hits. Early. As we cut to Mean Gene Okerlund, who introduces, to our great surprise, Eric Bischoff. A totally different song starts up. <laughs> Bischoff pokes his head out from behind the Starcade logo and waves, then walks out with a big smile. He fakes wiping tears from his eyes. I do actually like the short hair and beard look for him. Yeah. <laughs> Supremely confident. Look, at, and look on the face, Dean. Oh, this thing goes much further than the NWO black and white, NWO Hollywood, and WCW. This has gotten personal. Tonight... Eric Bischoff, it's you and Ric Flair. We know all about what's happened between the two of you, and tonight it's got to stop. You're right, Gene. And, and before we go any further, I want to say to everybody here in Washington, D.C., and including the first family, hi, Bill, hi, Hillary, hi, Chelsea. Ew. Ew. I just want to say that I am profoundly sorry for all of the pain that I know I've caused. Not only Ric Flair and his family, but wrestling fans around the world. I know I've caused pain. I know I have spoken untruths about Ric Flair. And I want to set the record straight here tonight. I am profoundly saddened by the decision that Ric Flair has made to participate in this match tonight. I feel badly for his family. Most of all, I feel badly for Ric Flair because clearly here is a man that is pushing himself beyond his physical abilities. This is a man that each and every one of you should stand and cheer for because he is overcoming singularly the biggest obstacle any athlete could overcome, that of a bad heart. The man suffered a coronary. No other athlete in any sport would do what Ric Flair is about to do tonight, risk his own life and his family's future by stepping into the ring with me. And there's one reason he's doing it. The man is broke. He's on his last leg financially. He needs the money. For you see, Ric Flair never saved a nickel. He never saved a dime. Out of the 104 years that he has been in that ring, he has never saved one nickel. Those jackets don't stud themselves. No, and yeah. when Ric Flair says he's a jet-flying, limousine-riding, kiss-stealing, son-of-a-gun, the fact is that Ric Flair paid for those jets out of his own pocket. Ric Flair paid for those limousines out of his own pocket. I, on the other hand, fly into a Learjet every Monday night, and I ride in a limousine everywhere I go. The difference is I save my money. My company pays for my Learjets, 
and my limousines. And hey, Ric Flair, when it comes to kiss stealing, you know who's king. Good night, everybody. Harvey, I hope you heard that. Sexual assault's hilarious. Odd thing to be proud of. <laughs> yeah. Creepy ending there, just to mention that. Yes. Gene says, Harvey, I hope you heard that, referring to Harvey Schiller, Turner Sports President and Eric Bischoff's boss. The majority of this, though, I thought was a good, insincere, jerk-heel kind of promo. Mm -hmm. Bischoff is quite good at that character, and he really lays it on heavy here, piling on the false sympathy and lies, and then ending with insult after insult to get the crowd good and mad at him. So I think it's a good promo. If a bit close to reality with WCW's eventual financial situation here, huh? Mm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you do ride on a Learjet every Monday night, Eric. WCW is no longer a business as of now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> These things might be related. I am getting really tired of all these promos and videos, though. It's just feeling like a little much. We got a long video package and two promos for the Flair versus Bischoff match. Couldn't we have just had the promos or the video? Preferably the promos, since the video was much longer than it needed to be. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we do the math as well. Between the two promos and the video package, that's actually longer than the match we get, too. I believe so, yes. I completely understand what you're saying about there being two promos, but I absolutely agree. This one thing in Tantabra, I could absolutely have no problem with this promo, at least. Which is, he comes out for a match... Tells him top of music and decides to do the promo on the way to the ring. Yeah. As opposed to having him separately enter the ring later. I can see that, yeah. Like Rick's already in the ring and he's like, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Know, I feel he's sorry like for on you. the way to the ring, he's taunting him. Yeah, that makes sense. So we're not occupying any more time on the show. It's just, yeah. Yes. See, they got to learn good time management skills. Yes. That's all it is. Absolutely. I wish he wouldn't reference Chelsea. <laughs> that was weird. That was weird. <laughs> He looks kind of like Doctor Strange, but like Doctor Creepy. <laughs> I don't know the exact timing of this, but I'm pretty sure by this point, WWF has done a show where they supposedly had Bill Clinton at the show, which is just the impersonator. So if kayfabe is to be believed, Bill Clinton physically attends WWF shows. So if you're calling him out, he's clearly not watching this show. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go one clown to another now, Tony says, throwing to a video package about the Jericho-Conan feud. <laughs> oh, another video package. This is not doink. Ugh. We see Jericho posing with a fake Conan, who he beats up and puts in the lion tamer hold. His security guy, Ralphus, holds a microphone for him to continue taunting Conan while he's holding the guy in the hold, which was creative at least. It's a short enough video, I guess, but did it really tell us anything other than that Jericho is fighting Conan? No. Really. No. Nope. So, our sixth match is Chris Jericho with Ralphus versus Conan for Conan's WCW World Television Championship. Referee for this match is Billy Silverman. So, 1998's a big year for Jericho in WCW. It's when he gets to really be the true heelish self he's clearly wanted to be for all his time. His early stuff in WCW, it's good wrestling-wise, but he's so stifled character-wise. He just smiles, ooh, just smile and cheer, and then wrestle good matches, but has no character. Yeah. Now as a heel, he is, his best work definitely happens there, for sure. He has a few with Malenko, which we'll cover when we watch those shows, which is really strong. Off of that, he gets to win a couple of titles, including the TV title, which he lost about a month before the show. It's in late November on Nitro, he loses it. 
It's when they're trying to build up the story that where the wolf pack is getting stronger. It's the show after World War Three with Kevin Nash. Conan wins the TV title, so it's showing their direction going upwards. Uh, okay. Jericho, in response to losing the title, would bemoan the whole event, claiming it was a conspiracy, claiming there was cheating. He's arrogant, he didn't get his way, so now he's going to be extra heelish now. Which includes the previous Nitro where he attacks Conan and takes the TV title, which is why he comes out wearing it on the yeah. show. What's he do eventually explain? Okay. Jericho has a rock star kind of outfit, and his rather strange hairdo. Long hair, but with an extra little bob on the top of the head. I never quite got that look. <laughs> he invented the Snooky hair towel before, yeah. way before her did. Reminiscent of the Maho Magic Girl series, uh, popular <laughs> manga. <laughs> I'm not sure that you want your hairstyle to be reminiscent of the Maho Magic Girl series myself, but, no, you know. <laughs> As you mentioned, Al, he's wearing the TV title even though Conan is champion. His WCW theme has been replaced on the WWE Network version with his WWE theme. I'm guessing it's a copywriter licensing yes. theme, but it, it's it's funny. Yeah. Jericho grabs a microphone. Oh, for crap's sake. I like Jericho, but really? First and foremost... Rolfus and myself would like to wish all of the Jericho-holics a happy Jericho holiday. Okay, that got me. <laughs> Jericho Hanukkah? Second of all, in a couple seconds, Conan, a.k.a. Baby Huey, is going to come out here. He's going to start talking, and to be quite honest with you, I guess I'm just not hip enough because I don't understand what this guy is talking about. I don't know what rowdy rowdy means. I don't know what bowdy bowdy means, but I can tell you this. I am the man of the hour, the man with the power, the man too sweet to be sour. I am the woman's pet, the man's regret, the man with the voice, the Jericho-holics choice. The choice of the Jericho-holics to be the greatest television champion of all time and for gosh sakes baby Huey show some fashion sense show some je ne sais quoi like Ralphus and myself pull up your pants cause your drawers are hanging out daddy-o thank you <laughs> yeah I again have no idea why we needed both this and the video package you run video of Jericho cutting a promo then Jericho comes out and cuts a promo. Yes. Why? Also, why baby Huey? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Otherwise, again, decent, arrogant jerk promo. Jericho is good at doing promos. It's just, I'm very much done with all the promo segments tonight. It's nice to see Ralphus on the show. Yes, it is nice to see Ralphus on the show. <laughs> Jericho's good too, I guess. Who's Ralphus? He was a truck driver, I believe, right? I believe so, yes. And Jericho saw the guy, thought he would be fun to have on as his security guy slash bodyguard slash guy to accompany him to the ring. And Yeah, the idea in Jericho's mind was a good, serious character should have a big, scary bodyguard. 
but he's Chris Jericho and he's a more comedic character. So his bodyguard should look even less intimidating than he is. Yeah. Okay. And you like the gap to smile that Roth is yeah. I mean, it makes sense to a certain degree, but I was just trying to see what the background was. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. He's just, he, he thought it'd be a funny part of the character to be like, this kind of chunky guy is my, uh, is my bodyguard, you know, rather than a big intimidating dude. Yeah, it was Jericho Personal Security. Jericho Personal Security muffin top. <laughs> yes. He couldn't afford shirts that fit. It was really sad. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that was the part that I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> well, they, they didn't have money to buy a longer shirt because all the weird jet money they're spending on Eric Bischoff. Yes. Conan enters. NWO Wolfpack theme one. Ding. I hate the Wolfpack theme. I think it's, it's the kind of crappy sounding wolf howl that it starts with primarily. And much like the NWO theme, just how often you're going to hear it on some shows. So have you turned your back on the wolf pack? Because I told you you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, yeah. Conan grabs a microphone and runs through a bunch of catchphrases. It's not a real promo, so I'm not playing it. He's rowdy, rowdy, and bowdy, bowdy, you know. Like Jericho, I am somewhat confused about what that means. Play Master P. The actual match begins, finally. Hooray! It's mostly even to start with strikes and some acrobatics, including a Conan dropkick to a seated Jericho after a monkey flip dodge and a Jericho spinning wheel kick. Conan finally clotheslines Jericho out, and Jericho hits the barricade, but Jericho pushes Conan aside on a dive into the barricade himself. Jericho moves the steps, but Conan reverses a whip to send him to the barricade instead. Jericho uses the ring post. Back in, a Jericho suplex and a showy flexing pin with one foot. Come on, baby! Yeah. Jericho yells, but gets two. That was good. Tony, I think, mentions that has not worked for him once, but he keeps doing it. Correct. Jericho keeps telling Silverman to ask him on a rear chin lock. Another Jericho tradition there. Mm-hmm. Conan gets a boot up on a dive, whips Jericho to the ropes, and follows right after with a nice rolling clothesline. Jericho tries to go up and over on a corner whip, but Conan catches him, slams him, and flips over into a pin for two. Nice spot. Mm-hmm. Jericho comes back with a jawbreaker and a clothesline, then his running second rope moonsault, the lion salt, for two. Conan rolls out, and Jericho tries a springboard dive, but Conan shoves him into the steps that Jericho moved earlier. Ow. Yeah. Back in, that gets two. Jericho tries the lion tamer submission hold, but Conan grabs the legs to block, so Jericho catapults him into the top rope instead. Conan fights back with kicks in the corner, but Silverman tries to force a break, and Conan accidentally knocks him out. Jericho hits Conan with the TV title, wakes Silverman up with a slap, and gets two. Jericho throws a tantrum, and Conan counters a whip with a face buster and locks in the Tequila Sunrise hold for the submission victory, reclaiming his TV title. NWO Wolfpack theme count, two. So, what was the point of that segment with Steiner and Bagwall threatening Conan earlier then? Was that just entirely pointless? Mostly. Yeah. Seems like if you're going to threaten the guy, you might want to maybe stop him from retaining his TV title. Yeah, that, I see that. that. seems like something you might do. I, I know that's me, like, asking for interference, but <laughs> just like, if you're setting it up, you might as well do something with it. <laughs> you could have them try to interfere and have yeah, it work. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, Luger stops him or something. Yeah. Thoughts on this one? It's one of the ones I'm kind of mixed on. There's some point where I like 
the sort of build up payoff, like when the steps around, and then it does. It's not an immediate payoff, so you. It's almost like a checkoff step. You forget they're moved, and then they're they <laughs> yeah come into play. The other side, though, is I don't. Know, there's not a lot of heat to this to, for me. Jericho does play a really good heel. Be wrong. That's always been his strength. Yeah, I'm doing the posing taunt and you know the yelling at the ref and stuff. His character work is 100 on point. It's just the two of them. I don't know. They don't have the dynamic I was really hoping for with the Jericho match. It's not bad. It's just okay. And I was I don't know. Maybe because it's Jericho, I'm expecting more. Mm. But I don't know. it was okay. Definitely, Jericho is the high point of that. Taking a look from Conan, just his character shines more. Whereas Conan is more reacting. Mm-hmm. Other than the promo, obviously, in the match itself, he's just baby-faced guy fighting to the match. Where Jericho slips in these little moments where he taunts the crowd or does his pin and everything. Mm-hmm. He is, his is a more complete, interesting character to me than Conan at this point. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I don't think there was great chemistry between the two for the match. Um, I think that was more in line with the pacing, though. Mm. They could have given Jericho longer bits and, and maybe like stretched out just a little bit so there was more impactful, mm-hmm. but it was great moves, great energy, a lot of power and strength, and, and, you know, they had lots of great stuff. It's just that, like, it didn't feel impactful if you just get up half a second later mm-hmm. no, I can see that. and go into the next set of moves. It's almost like if they had maybe another, I don't know, four minutes from a video package being cut earlier, maybe that would have been helpful. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> you know, I did like that, you know, Jericho just moved the, the stairs just to be half amused against him. <laughs> yeah. That was nice. No, I think that they did decent performances, but they could have done better with pacing and, and video package may or may have not been part of that. <laughs> yeah, the first time that I watched this show, I found this one really dull. The second watch was much more positive as I started the night on the match itself. I think the collection of promos has just put me in a really bad mood. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Being able to view the match alone was much better. I still think it's more of a collection of often nice spots than a cohesive story. I don't really get the sense of much of a plan from either wrestler. But all the same, there is some story building around Jericho being hoist on his own petard with the uh, ring step spots. And I like the false finish with Conan kicking out of the belt shot. The kickout was a pleasant surprise. I just feel like they've got all the big spots, but not the build-up and the reasons for the big spots. The toppings without the ice cream, Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Both full sprinkles. Yeah. Which, is- which I guess I'd be kind of okay with, but, you know, not as good as the ice cream, which is, you know. Sure, sure. There you go. It's weird, because I actually do like this match, mm-hmm. but I just feel like I should like it more than I do. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same reaction you were having out, where, like, it's, it's Jericho. I really like Jericho. I'm pretty good with Conan. Yeah. This feels like it should be a really good match, and it's a it's an okay match. Yeah. So even though it's entertaining, it's still like I can't even say it's disappointing. It's just like entertaining, but it's not entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> I think the previous match and the Bischoff promo and video packages are still lingering for me at this point. You know, and then mm-hmm. you throw more video packages and promos on top of it. It's just sort of like Marty and like in a mood to Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's too much. Yeah, I was telling Al, um, when he and I watched it together, and 
uh, you can verify, I was clearly like checked out at yes. the time of this match. For sure. <laughs> there were spots that came up when I was doing the show notes that I had no memory of whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like none. That told me how, how much I had completely checked out on this match. Yeah, for sure. I blame it more on Bischoff than I do the previous match, though, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Jericho would leave WCW about the middle of 1999, mostly because he felt his creative legs were being taken out from him. He tried to charge you with Goldberg, which nobody would help him with, basically. Goldberg refused to even acknowledge it, which temporarily makes sense, but there's never the payoff it should be with Goldberg beating him up properly. Mm-hmm. So that sort of set him in the mindset of, I can do whatever I want, but I'm not going to be able to deliver fully because they're not letting me. Yeah. So he signed the WDF and obviously does quite well there. Yes. For many years. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's still going strong today. Yes. All that stuff with Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell threatening Conan pays off on Nitro the very next day. <sighs> where we have a match between the two, which due to some lots of interference and mistime assistance with Lex Luger leads to Scott Steiner win the TV title. Okay. Why are we using the pay-per-view to set up the free show? Yeah, that's a good point. Jeez. Note for historical purposes, a 1997 show did not have a TV title match. Its champion at that point was Disco Inferno, so I'm not disappointed that we didn't have one. But that is the exact same trend. They had the very next Nitro, he loses the title to Booker T. So two years in a row, TV champions just lose the very next night, and not on the show that you would think they would for maximum impact. Yeah. Tradition. We cut to Lee Marshall with The Giant at WCW's internet desk. Poor Giant is curled up really tight behind the desk like there's not enough room for him to fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's pretty on? safe to say anybody that's felt that choke slam wants nothing ever, ever to do with you again. <laughs> yeah, right. But you look at Diamond Dallas Page, he took that horrific choke slam from you. He okay. got out from it, kind of laughing in your face almost by showing up here tonight at Starcade. What are you trying to say? Well, I'm saying that you gave Are you me- trying to rub it in my face? You don't think I can't stop Diamond Eyes Page? That's not a You don't think giant. I can't I stop him? That's Let me not- tell you something, Lee Marshall. You take this and all your little computer geeks and realize one thing. I am the giant. And tonight, I'm going to squash Dallas Page like the giant that I am and the cockroach that he is. Don't ever get in my face again. I really... It wasn't a personal... It was... I was just talking about the... Well, the choke slam. And- Wow, can we stick with this? Can we go? Lee Marshall may be getting choke slam. We wouldn't have missed that. <laughs> uh, a short and fair enough bit here that built up how annoyed Giant was at Paige's resilience, but dang, there's a lot of promos on this one. I'm not sure that this added much beyond what's going to show in the match itself myself. Yeah. I did love Tony asking if they can go back and see if Lee gets choke slam, though. That was hilarious. <laughs> at least it was Lee Marshall, not Mark Madden. That's always a positive. It wasn't great. I thought it was a little playful. Had fun with it? It was certainly shorter than a lot of other promos. (laughs) That is true. It's nice and and quick. Yeah. It keeps it short. So that's kind of a nice guitar riff at the end. (laughs) Speaking of nice guitar riffs, our seventh match is Eazy-E, Eric Bischoff, versus Ric Flair. The referee for this match is Charles Robinson. 
Okay, so we obviously addressed the list before, and plus we had the video package yes. addressing some of this. Oh my gosh. So, you know the general gist of this, which is that Bischoff's evil boss, he's doing stuff to make everyone happy. Behind the scenes, about a month before Nitro, Flair tells them, he tells him his son David uh, is an amateur wrestler at this point, I believe in high school, possibly college. Tells him he has a big tournament, and that he's not going to be available for that show. They say, fine, sure, it's a month, we, we've got some time. Day of the show, Bischoff suddenly decides that they need Ric Flair on the show and is irate of the fact that Ric Flair is not there. Even though he knew he wouldn't be there. They sort of try to turn that into the part of the story. So it comes Bischoff personally being mad at Flair. They just don't say that, but mm-hmm. they're clearly trying to sort of work, work the internet in the early days of that. That's why Flair is in this point, basically. A weird mix of reality and fantasy. Yeah. The wrinkle, of course, come as was mentioned, the Bishop promo, they have Flair fake a heart attack for some reason. And they famously don't tell the boys in the back, including Arn Anderson, who does not take that well. Oh god. Yeah, they did not tell Arn that. That is that the uh promo where he has the line too about uh Yeah, I was gonna say you wanna do you wanna cover the famous line? <laughs> yeah, where he's he, he's yelling at Bischoff and says, uh Bischoff, I'm gonna reach down your throat and rip out your heart and show and show the people that you have no heart. <laughs> <laughs> so is your hand empty or See, I guess the logic of it would be that he's ripped out his heart, so now he has no heart. But I'm sure that's not what he meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ric Flair has some perplexing lines sometimes, but that's among the most perplexing. Yeah. Maybe he's supposed to say no heart left. Yeah. <laughs> Can rip out his heart and then pull up next every scene and show you the empty gap yeah. where his heart used to be. Yeah, I think he just perfect. mixes two concepts in one single sentence. It's it's like the Owen Hart uh, kicked your leg out of your leg thing. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. It's almost worth all these knowing promo packages that that hilarious bit exists. Yes. Almost. Interesting side note. This is the first time that Ric Flair has been featured on a Starcade and has not been in the main event. We get a sign in the crowd. It says, Impeach Hogan, Elect Sting. I think that's what WCW was trying to do last year, man. Right. Also, you kind of <laughs> skipped a step. <laughs> yeah. He has to first be elected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bischoff's out first, Flair second. Flair takes off his robe midway down the ramp and sprints to the ring, and Bischoff slides out. Flair chases Bischoff around and beats him up outside, then rolls him in. Bischoff pleads for mercy, but Flair keeps it up, even choking Bischoff, and after Robinson stops that, seeing if he can stretch his mouth out a bit. That looked pretty painful. Yeah, a little fish hooking. Some kind of confetti seems to be falling from the ceiling for some reason. I'm not sure why, when it started, but it keeps going for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, it's like the tiny squids in Watchmen. They just sort of fall from the sky whenever. <laughs> Flair continues the destruction of Bischoff. Bischoff tries to gain some time by claiming that his knee is hurt, but Flair just starts abusing Bischoff's knee then. When Flair puts Bischoff's leg on the rope to continue the attack, Robinson makes him break, and Flair turns to him, leaving himself open for a Bischoff kick to the head. Flair rolls out, and Bischoff celebrates before following to ram Flair's head into the barricade. Flair blades. That was fast. Shocking. Bischoff takes over in the ring with good kicks and bad punches, but a Flair punch to the balls turns the tide. Tony says that Flair should do it again. Flair does. (laughs) DQ? Nah. Flair rips Bischoff's shirt off. 
<laughs> we don't need to see that, Tony says. <laughs> but Robinson tries to force a break on corner punches, and Flair knocks him aside. Robinson is down as Flair props Bischoff on the ropes, gets a good run-up, and kicks him in the crotch. Tony jokes that Flair will be punting for the NFL. <laughs> Flair belly-to-back suplex, and he asks the crowd if they want more. They do. Flair stalling suplex and figure four leg lock, but Robinson is out. Kurt Hennig, in nice blue suit, runs down and slips Bischoff some kind of object, and Bischoff slugs Flair in the face with it, then wakes Robinson and slumps onto Flair for the three count and the win. Bischoff holds up his hand in victory, object still there, and a dazed Robinson tries to get a look, but Bischoff quickly snatches the object with his other hand to hide it. Hennig pulls Bischoff out of the ring before Robinson can recover enough to look. Thoughts on this one? Uh, my note was it was a messy but structured brawl. Because mm-hmm. there's definitely a story, which is that Ric Flair just wants to beat up Bischoff. They eventually get to the middle point where Bischoff gets to do his kicks, which they got to with the previous year's show. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have no Scott Hall because of the whole storyline where Scott Hall's kicked out of the NWO. I think my issue is there's plus two issues. First off is Bischoff really doesn't have much at this point. Mm-hmm. Like I said, his kicks are okay, but... It's definitely not enough to sustain you, as we've learned from previous people on the show. Yep. His kicks are just not enough, and his aren't as good as... Yeah, the, the martial artist string continues, by the way. Yes. <laughs> he was good at skipping. <laughs> That's true, yes. He doesn't have much to give, both like stamina-wise and his offense is not that great. Flair's good, but I don't know. It doesn't feel like truly passionate Ric Flair. It feels like Flair's doing the moves he does... Vaguely in the sequence he does, you know, you got the side, he blades, he mm-hmm. suplex, that was bigger four. Weirdly, for a match that's built around him being passionately angry and defiant, and I just don't feel that other than him just saying it. Yeah. Know. Well, the jump in in the beginning when he was like ran down the ramp and went in felt like it was going to be a great yeah. mm-hmm. intro no, sure. in like that he was passionate, but it kind of waned. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, other, other aspects. So, Charles Robinson is known as being a big Ric Flair fan, I believe, at the, even at this point. I think that actually comes a little bit later. I mean, I, yeah, not the full thing where they're actually lying together. That's definitely Yeah. Later. But I find it a little funny that Charles Robinson is being the referee in this match that is designed to be against Flair, mm-hmm. and he gets picked for that. It's like they have another famous crooked referee they could use for matches <laughs> like this. And think of the NWO, why weren't they involved? The whole point is to get the horseman not able to help, and he gets his kick for five minutes, and then one guy helps him out. Yeah, and it's Kurt Hennig. Yes. Who, I believe, had been like absent for a while and then just comes back here. I believe that is the case. Yes. Yeah, where rather than any of the other NWO black and white members that we know are there, like Bagwell and Steiner, were backstage for some reason, but aren't out here. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think that you could have made a bigger thing of it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And my other note was the cheap finish is sadly expected. Yeah. One of the few matches like I've seen Flair like being okay with the loss. <laughs> no, I thought it was a decent premise and it started out pretty good. You have Bischoff doing the sheepishly leaving the ring and walking around and pretending he's hurt and and mm-hmm. everything. So, you know, there was a nice narrative, but really it's like heel versus heel overall. I didn't think that Flair really played up the face more he's kind of at this stage he's the heel that you love anyway kind of thing is is flair's Mm -hmm. gig here he's just such a 
traditional figure in wrestling that no matter what he's doing, the crowd loves him. Yeah. So even though he's very much doing a heel act with the punching people in the balls and kicking them in the balls and doing anything else would seem weird. Just the crowd still treats him as a good guy. Yeah. But it's one of those weird things that happens in wrestling sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like even later Ric Flair, like in WWE, rather, when he would come in, he'd be the good guy, and the villain would be beating him up, like doing actual moves and strikes. Then he'd punch him in the ball of the ref's track, and they're like, yay! And everyone's like, oh, that Ric Flair. <laughs> he punches people in the dick. <laughs> yeah. It was also one of those weird things where usually they do a good job of like keeping the camera back and like giving the announcers the ability to be like, oh, he didn't have anything, you know? They like zoomed in on Bischoff's up and, and he's like, "Oh, I I'll poorly switch this from one hand to the other after everything's yeah. done." I thought that was just. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a bit they were going for at the end, or if that was, a, or if that was a near botch. But I thought it was a bit. He at least did kind of very quickly grab it, which was kind of nice. But he should have thrown the crowd like the last object he used to cheat. Yes. Here you go, guys. We we. <laughs> I knew there was going to be some sort of foul play to finish the match, though, given the characters. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't, I honestly wasn't certain who was going to win. The crowd reaction for Flair is great. And I appreciated that this largely kept to the template from last year's Bischoff match. His kicks can be strong, but he's not going to do enough sustained damage with his offense to take down Flair clean, just like with Zabisco. Yeah. This one just didn't feel as well put together, though. Developments just seem quite sudden, like Flair blading after literally one kick and a single knock into the barricade. <laughs> I mean, I know it's Flair, he bleeds all the time, but that felt really fast. Yeah. You do still always get a story with Flair. With the figure four, he can just start working the knee to give the match some direction, so that's good. This just, like you guys were saying, this didn't feel like a hate-filled blood feud kind of match, yeah. despite Flair nailing Bischoff multiple times in the crotch. The personalities are there, but they're not turned up to 11 the way I thought they would be. It's a little more aggressive and angry than normal, but not a lot. I really would have preferred a Flair win, given the storyline here. It just doesn't feel like Bischoff should be getting away with all the things he's done. But otherwise, I really can't put my finger on much that this match actively does wrong. I just didn't find that I liked it all that much. The personalities are good, it's just there's not much going on, I guess. Yeah. Kind of a disappointing sequel to the last Bischoff match, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't even super big fan of it just busted one that was good yeah yeah <laughs> no I, it's it's one of those rare things that like i actually want flair to win so but it mm-hmm. is a little bit disappointing yeah well, don't worry there is more to the story so the very next night flair cuts to the passion and promo uh, about when to get bischoff especially after coming off of starcade where he loses they play a video package earlier where Bischoff and Hennig and other WWE are bragging about how they won and everything. So it's what set him off more. He tends to have an actual hard attack again because it works just as well the second time. Yeah. That's where his crazy promo where he like takes all his clothes off except his oh, right. boxer shorts. And he, I've yeah. heard of that one. That's yeah, it's weird. that one. Yeah. He basically, he puts literally everything on the line. He says he, quote, give up all his possessions if he loses this one match again to Bischoff. And in exchange, Bischoff will be out of power if he loses. So it's everything versus everything. As you can probably guess, since Flair did not give up all his possessions, this leads to him winning, and he basically he replaces Bischoff with a write-off storyline mm-hmm. uh, that way. So yes, this match was entirely pointless. 
That's just weird. Like, if you're going to do that anyway, why not do that on Starcade? Yeah. Give people the big, oh, that's awesome, Flare One. You know, he beat Bishop. Yeah. He's finally out of power. That's such a huge story moment. Yep. But it's not on Starcade. Nope. And it's literally the next, the next night. Yep. That is bizarre. Gotta pop the ratings, man. I mean, it really is feeling like this one, like, what is the point of this show? In, mm-hmm. in a way, like not not maybe not the entire show, but a lot of this show is feeling like you're using this show to set up the free show. Yeah. And it's. Gal. There's a general air of desperation, I think, um, in WSW at this point. They're doing really well, but they're past the the streak of beating. Yes. Yeah. WWF, so they're like, whatever you got to do to get the ratings back above WWF, we got to do it. And of course, that means sacrificing Parts of their biggest show of the year. Yeah. Just to hop the ratings. Yeah. It's just strange that it's like you have actually a like perfect ending to that storyline that you do on the next night instead of on this night. Yeah. It's like ninety seven all over again. You got a perfect ending. You just didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Why pay for this show this show and this match when you can just watch it tomorrow? Oh, hey, it's another video package. Joy. This one's building up to DDP versus Bret Hart. Oh, sorry. DDP versus the Giant. We just spend a lot of time with Bret Hart in this package, largely because Giant's feud with Paige seems to be largely about Giant interfering with Paige's attempt to fight Bret Hart. Yep. Kind of feels like the match should be Paige versus Bret Hart, with Paige finding a way to stop the Giant from interfering then, but I guess Paige just wants Giant more. The choke slam off the stage featured in the package looked kind of awesome, at least. So, our eighth match is The Giant versus Diamond Dallas Page. The referee for this match is Billy Silverman. So, going into this match is that DDP would lose his US title due to some shenanigans involving The Giant, as they, they don't have right to say, but definitely apply pretty strongly in the mm-hmm. video package. At this point, by the way, Bret Hart is aligned with the NWO. He's part of the Black and White um, group. Despite the fact that he came in last year specifically to stop them from doing shenanigans, yes, he has now joined them. Yeah, both people whose story arc of last year's show were was to stop the NWO are both have joined it yeah. in some form. Or I mean, at least Sting only joins the Wolf Pack, but still, uh, it, I, I'm going to stop talking before I rant on that. <laughs> DDP loses title in can't get his rematch properly because Giant is attacking him. So he figures I gotta take Giant out and then I can go back at the Bret Hart. Okay. But still Rob is a Bret Hart match, unfortunately. Yeah. Again, it's Starcade and the match that you're putting on is not the match that you're building towards, but the match to build towards the match you're building towards. Correct. Yeah. It also means the US champion Bret Hart is not wrestling on this show. Yep. Giant enters mocking Diamond Dallas Page's Diamond Cutter sign. NWO theme count three. Page's pyro scares Heenan, and Page runs on over to pose by the announcers, to Tony's amusement, and atop the internet table, and in the crowd. Giant just kind of sits there atop the top turnbuckle to wait for him to finish, looking bemused. Tanae tells us that Page has been working on new variations of the diamond cutter to deal with the Giant. Giant spits his gum at Page, so Page spits back at him. Page lands strikes, but Giant blocks an early diamond cutter attempt, so Page clotheslines him out of the ring. Page is about to dive after him when Giant just grabs his feet and drags him out instead. Mm Kind of like that twist there. Yeah. Giant gets the better of a brawl and headbutts Page to send him over the barricade. 
Paige lands with ribs across the trash can. That couldn't have felt very great. No. Paige uses the can to block a giant punch and smacks giant with the can. The ref was right there, so DQ? Nah. We're good. Giant flings Paige to the steps for about a point four Cena. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Giant rams Paige into the ring post a couple times, then hurls Paige over the top rope back into the ring. That looked cool. Yes. Back in, Giant methodically assaults Paige's leg and earns several one counts off a leg lock. Paige gouges Giant's eyes to get free, and Giant is angry. Giant takes Paige apart, batting aside his comebacks. A battered Paige uses Giant's own body to pull himself to his feet as the crowd claps for Paige, but Giant just tosses him into the air and catches him into a bear hug. It doesn't last long. Giant sends Paige absolutely flying with a slap, shoves away a diamond cutter attempt, and hits a monster power slam. Paige is dead, but Giant stops his own pin twice and tells Silverman, I'll pin him when I'm good and ready. Giant mocks the diamond cutter sign. Giant tosses Paige into an elevated bear hug again. The arm stays up on Silverman's third check, and Paige claps his arms around Giant's head and bites his nose to get free. Paige with an interesting loop-around sunset flip variant, but Giant just picks him up by the throat, holds him high, and smashes him into a backbreaker. Ow, ow, ow. (laughs) Paige screams as he lies on the mat, and Giant taunts him as Paige tries to drag himself away. Giant gets overconfident, and Paige surprises him with a beautiful float-over DDT. A diamond dream, apparently. Both are down, but Paige crawls on top for two. But Giant throws him right onto Silverman to knock the ref out. Bret Hart charges the ring with a chair, and Giant holds Paige. But Paige escapes, and Hart nails the Giant. Paige punches Hart in the crotch to send him rolling out, and crawls on top of the Giant as Silverman awakes, but only gets one. Interesting bit. You can see Paige grabbing the giant's arm to put it into position for being shoved off. I wonder if Paige was improvising to get shoved off particularly heavy, or if Giant just forgot a spot there. Um, I can go either way on that. Yeah, probably the former, but yeah. Paige nails Giant with a great diving clothesline and shoulder block off the top turnbuckle, but Giant grabs him by the throat on a third dive. Giant sets Paige on the top rope and tries a choke slam, but Paige flips over him to turn it into the diamond cutter in midair for the three count and the win. Awesome ending spot there. Lots of people doing the diamond cutter sign with Paige as he celebrates. A recovered Hart threatens to re-enter with the chair, but Paige turns his way and Hart backs off, telling Paige to come for him instead. Giant wakes up and drags himself to his feet. Paige keeps an eye on both of them and goes for Hart when Hart thinks he's not paying attention, and Hart finally backs off. Thoughts on this one? So it's an interesting one for me because... The story, which, as we know, DDP, like, meticulously laid out in probably, like, a binder full of <laughs> yes of notes and drawings and descriptions, is very strong. It's a really good story of DDP literally and figuratively fighting upwards mm-hmm. to get his victory. All his stuff that sh- wouldn't work on a smaller opponent is just not enough to take out the giant. He can take these big blows, and any move he does to counter is almost twice as strong as anyone else's move to counter out of it. Yeah. Everything he has to do, he has to do harder and he has to do better. They build the diamond cutter nicely throughout the match as well. There's a lot of really good spots. And obviously, it builds up to the ending really well. I'm a little confused as well how Giant no-sell kicks in the balls, though. 
It's part of the build up to the finish. God, I don't remember even seeing that. Must have. So he catches DDP on the third jump. DDP kicks him the balls and he fully no sells oh. it and puts him on the top rope. Maybe it was supposed to be the gut or something instead. I don't know, but yeah. it's, it's very few that he no sells that. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they make a point of like it, it didn't phase him or wasn't enough. Maybe he knows the, uh, the iron stance from that one Kung Fu movie. Invincible Armor, yes. Yeah, Invincible Armor, yeah. That's the one. You don't forget movies like that. <laughs> iron Skirt. <laughs> so all of that's really good. I think my problem with the match as a whole is that at this point, the Giant just can't really keep pace for that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of points where... Giant stops and poses. In that second bear hug, he's clearly sort of leaning in. You could see him definitely catching his breath. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a shame because everything's put together really well. When he does the big moments, like the choke breaker, the, the yeah, knee. Yeah, insane. Yeah. And throwing him around, all that's really good. But he can't quite do anything as fast, clearly as fast as Paige would be able to keep the match going. Mm-hmm. Especially seeing his pace with uh, Hennig. Yeah. If this was 1997 Giant, this physically, the match would be, I don't know, 40% faster with less pauses. Everything else being the same would be really, really good. For me, it's good. It definitely showcases DP, showing him fighting from beneath, fighting through the pain, coming creative finishes, and hitting a big moment to impact the match really well. I can sort of get past the interference because it didn't really inter- affect things that much. Yeah, again, it's undone. Exactly, yeah. But for me, it's just a case where it's not to its fullest effect because Giant just doesn't have the physical ability to do the match as fast as clearly DDP wrote the match out. They cover parts of it. It's not like it's really fast DDP and then super slow Giant. There's just enough pauses there because he clearly has to catch his breath and maybe has to remember how how much stuff Paige wrote out for the match <laughs> that throws the pacing off for me. It's good, it's just it's not what it absolutely could be because of that. He does give us chunky guy muscle pose, though, at one No, point, absolutely. Which, yeah. was, which was wonderful. Yes. <laughs> it's one of the few pauses to catch his breath bits I have no problem with. <laughs> Very big surprise ending for me. I was expecting the giant to pull through at the end. Mm-hmm. I think there was some title movement from there, like, you know... I thought there was points where DDP would come out ahead and there's points where the Giant would. I think they did have a lot better chemistry than some of the other matches, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't take note of him taking points to, to rest and everything, but I just thought that Diamond Dallas Page was just that much faster. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some of that, too, but like you can see it on the second bear hug. He's, he's like leaned in. Like he's napping on DP shoulder for a moment or two. I kind of blank on those things. <laughs> when <laughs> bear hug shows up, I kind of just go to like a little happy place. Just, and then yeah, <laughs> two or three other moves later, I'm like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're back in play. The most memorable point is at the very end, just the look on, on uh, DDP's face after like converting the choke slam into diamond cutter. Yes. It was enough to, for me to be happy with the outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I really kind of just wanted to see Giant win this one. Usually he's just kind of cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the transition into the diamond cutter there? You know, I honestly, I, I thought, I, I didn't even really like notice it. I had to go back a couple seconds just to make sure that mm-hmm. it was that. But it looked like, you know, they both fell to the, the mat and I guess DDP fell the right way. 
is the yeah. first way I thought it. It's a good example of using um, a bigger opponent's weight against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, this is what DDP became very famous for, is the sheer variety of ways that he can turn things into the diamond cutter over the course of his career. Yeah. Like, he, whatever finisher or big move my opponent has, I will find a way to make that turn into the diamond cutter at some point during my feud against them. Yeah. It's always exciting to see that uh, that happen. And obviously a certain young upstart coming a few yes. years from now would take that and do quite well as well. Yes, yeah. Randy Orton has very much inherited that gimmick with the uh, RKO out of nowhere thing. Yeah. It's a fascinating element of Paige's character that it's one of the reasons I really like Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, sure. For me, this was very, very good. I'd been fading really badly on this show, but it woke me up. It has a slow pace, but a ton of drama. Giant takes his time decimating Paige, who after an initial flurry just can't get anything solid going, but just won't die. Mm-hmm. Giant looks awesome and powerful as he makes full use of his size to utterly dominate Paige. But Paige gets to look great in just flat-out showing fighting spirit. Yeah, absolutely. The whole match is built around Paige just trying to live long enough to find an opening for the Diamond Cutter, probably the single most powerful move in WCW right now. And it had me on the edge of my seat. Little slowdown in the middle for some bear hugs, but they keep those relatively short. The rest of this match was Paige making Giant look like the biggest and most powerful ever, and expertly using that to get the crowd's sympathy. I loved this match. And at this point in the show, when things have been getting quite dull, this was exactly what I needed. A well-booked match with a ton of drama and a strong storyline performed by two excellent wrestlers with the full grasp of their characters and the tale that they want to tell. I definitely get your point Mm -hmm. on it that this could be even better, and I agree. Yeah. I mean, if if we had earlier Giant unquestionably this this could be better it's by no means a bad match yeah. but just for me it's a good or even great match all the same mm-hmm. and at this point in the show especially oh my gosh was i thankful for it no absolutely yeah <laughs> i had the same thing actually i was like oh okay yeah it's starting to get good again it's like oh yay <laughs> something i can be interested in biggest thing to address no actual pun intended the giant what happens with him in wcw well he leaves wcw he would show up at WWF's St. Valentine's Day Massacre in February as the surprise weapon for Vince McMahon, both the story and company-wise. Mm-hmm. So this is a nice match for him to have a big moment and then basically leave. <laughs> if this is a swan song match for you in a company, you got to be pretty proud of it. I don't know if it's literally his last match, but this is his last real big match. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. They never really truly get back to the DDP or his Red Heart story at least on pay-per-view it's kind of it's kind of a shame yeah because this is like him beating giant to get to him but then right, yeah what actually happens is on a nitro a bit later bret hart loses the title to roddy piper Woo-hoo. oh okay <laughs> yeah i know it a scant seven years and one new hip after their famous battle of some eight. Oh my gosh so the trade-off is ddp does not get his big shot against hart for the u.s title because it goes something else but his fortunes do improve quite a bit in April, is all I will say. Tony says we're on the threshold of the biggest world title match ever. Look, it's a big match, but again, this is really bigger than last year? Or bigger than the Flair Dusty match for the title in a million dollars? 
or Flair Vader with Flair's career on the line against the title? Oh, my gosh. Well, and even even if you're accepting the condition they put on at some point, which is the Big World title match this year, you still have the famous, famous match, the Georgia Dome, with Goldberg unseating then-champion Hulk Hogan. Yes. While still U.S. champion, by the way. People will forget that. Yeah. It's the second biggest rating they ever got in the show. Yes. That was in June. Yeah, it's 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 just strange. And Goldberg's streak is always on the line. So Correct. It was on the line when he won the title the first time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was on the line when he had a match against DDP for the title at Halloween Havoc. Yes. You know, it's it does I don't get that line. We get the weird not-in-memoriam video package again, and then it's time for the main event. So our final match, thank goodness, is Kevin Nash versus Goldberg in a no-disqualification match for Goldberg's WCW slash NWO World Heavyweight Championship. Referee for this match is Mickey J. So as they've hinted at through confusing video package and commentary throughout the show... Goldberg and Kevin Nash died, went to heaven, and came back to fight for the title. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> they did good enough to get a second chance on Earth and then fighting for the title. No, um, the big story throughout 1998 is the two factions both wanting control and wanting power and of course the problem is that the world title held by goldberg who was undefeated yes that leads to world war three arguably the weirdest most complicated match they've ever booked in wcw which i'll look forward to that when we do the series on that i am not looking forward to writing the match recaps kevin nash wins the world war three match the last one they do thank god and gets his shot to once again gain control, gain powers, leading the NWO Wolfpack in this case Ooh. by defeating Goldberg. Michael Buffer kind of oddly describes this as a mandatory match, which I guess is because of the World War Three thing, yes. probably. But still, if a match is on the card, isn't it always mandatory? Though I, I guess last year kind of proved that wasn't the case several yeah. times. So, well, and Kevin Nash's match was definitely mandatory yeah. before he just didn't show up. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Point retracted. Buffer seems to take special joy in doing a particularly elongated, are you ready (laughs) tonight? I'm glad he's having fun. Nash is out first. NWO Wolfpack theme count three. Weird line in Nash's intro from Buffer. Although he is a native of Detroit, Michigan, his accomplishments and glory for professional wrestling make him a citizen of the world. What? Huh. <laughs> no, really, what? I kind of gloss over that. Yeah. Every watch the match, I gloss over that. I mean, like, they have, like, diplomatic immunity, or, or what, what are they trying to say? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What the heck? I was more stuck on him being listed as a founding father of the NWO. Yeah. Which is accurate, but it's a weird way to but say it. But weird way of saying it, yeah. yeah. It's probably because they're in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Nash signals that he wants the belt. Obviously. We get the full Goldberg entrance this year, with him walking all the way from his locker room, flanked by security, signing an autograph for a kid, and finally arriving on stage. He takes it a little close to the Starcade symbol and nearly bonks his head, but makes up for it with his awesome stand in the midst of his spray of pyro. It always looks cool. Buffer says that he's defeated 174 consecutive opponents without a loss. The rest of the show, they've been saying 173. Maybe maybe one of the 173 wins was against two guys? I don't know. <laughs> one of them was especially heavy, so... Okay. Was it Roadblock? Yeah, probably. 
Buffer calls the world title the WCW slash NWO world title. That's why I've got it that way in the intro. I didn't realize that was ever a thing, but I guess that's the branding this year overall. So it was like they spray paint half the individual That, that there? would be hilarious. Goldberg hands the belt to the ref, and Nash takes it for a moment to try it on, and smiles tauntingly at Goldberg. But his expression turns very serious as the bell rings, which Tony points out. The arena looks like it's in the midst of a deep fog with all the lingering smoke from all the pyro. It's a scary match. Mm -hmm. It's not Halloween Havoc, come on. Dueling poses to start. Nash gets cheers and booing, and Goldberg just gets solid cheers. Nash acknowledges the disparity with a nod to Goldberg. They test each other's power to start, locking up and wrestling around the ring. Goldberg proves the stronger by easily lifting the taller Nash for a backdrop to escape a side headlock, and Nash rolls out of the ring. We get a quiet Goldberg sucks chant from Nash fans, and a much louder Nash sucks from the Goldberg fans. Back in, Nash hits a knee strike to take control, and lands punches, knees, elbows, and forearms, but when he tries a boot choke, Goldberg takes him down and batters him with punches and his own choking. That escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. Surprising submission section as Nash tries a pretty good cross-arm breaker, but Goldberg slips free and puts on an ankle lock. Nash gets the ropes, and Goldberg breaks as Heenan points out that Nash's height allows him to pretty much reach the ropes from anywhere but dead center of the ring. Not sure why that matters so much in an ODQ match, but good point anyway. Yeah, there's a thing where rough breaks still happen, yeah. rope breaks and all that. Yeah. It, no, it makes no sense. Goldberg takes over with quick striking. A monstrous punch knocks Nash down, but Nash pulls Goldberg into the second turnbuckle and stands on his neck, but breaks at a four count from Jay. Again, this is no DQ, so why? <laughs> He's just very polite. Yeah. I guess he is a face, so, you know, you might not actively break all the rules even in a no DQ thing. I don't know. Sure. Goldberg dodges a big boot and hits the spear, but when Goldberg drags a dazed Nash to his feet for the jackhammer... Nash proves me wrong on the rule-breaking thing by punching him in the crotch. <laughs> Goldberg expertly sells his balls. Weird, weird thing to say, but that just looked really legit. <laughs> yeah. Nash gets two counts off a side slam, a nice elbow drop, and a rope drop. Goldberg fights back, but a Nash clothesline gets another two. Goldberg's spinning neckbreaker leads to a sideways suplex for two and three quarters. Goldberg hefts Nash on his shoulder, carries him one-handed, and slams him for two and nine-tenths. Goldberg is just amazingly strong. Yeah. Shocking flying spinning dropkick by Goldberg, but Disco Inferno runs in and gets killed dead by the spear. <laughs> Bam Bam Bigelow runs in, but gets sent out of the ring by a Goldberg clothesline. Goldberg gets ready to spear Nash again, but while Nash is struggling to his feet, and Ref J is... Watching the security staff try to deal with Bigelow, Scott Hall, dressed as security, climbs on the apron and zaps Goldberg with a taser. Hall blends in with security to retreat, and an unaware Nash hits the jackknife powerbomb on a stunned Goldberg for the three count and the win. NWO Wolfpack theme count four. Nash gets the title and breaks the streak, and the crowd seems split on this. Nash sees Goldberg still down and struggling with the after-effects of the taser, and gets an uncertain, confused look on his face. Thoughts on this one? For me, it's a pretty simple match. Kevin Nash being uh, conniving and using experience, and Goldberg is just ridiculously strong. Yes. The commentary does play that really well. They, they talk about how he 
pushes the way out of the corner stroke, for instance. Yeah, that was that. and that that's something they'd never seen happen to Nash before. Yeah. Yes. So there's a lot of that going on, which is really good. Likewise, Goldberg has a weird moment where he'll suddenly do a spinning neckbreaker or that spinning kick you talked about. Yeah. Which is, I thought it was actually done slightly better than Jericho's weird jumping back elbow spin kick thing mm-hmm. his match. Just weird, the two people doing really like that, you'd think it'd be Jericho 100%, but yeah. in this case, no. I appreciate that Nash gave a bit more than I was actually expecting him to. Especially coming off of the last year's match, where I just assumed it would be really badly booked and, yeah, Goldberg squashed. But no, yeah. Nash really does let him look strong, and he escapes pushing him up the ropes. And it's mm-hmm. clear that he's not going to outpower Goldberg. He's just going to find the opportunity to take it and get advantage. The advantage is interesting because it's both not at all important to the match and very important to the match. It's an ODQ situation. I don't think either person who interferes directly ever actually hits Goldberg or Nash, at least in a notable way. No. So it's not like they had to be an ODQ. He could have, they could have run in and just he spears them right away and throws them out and same with Bam Bam Bigelow. But then it's very important because Kevin Nash actually looking the other way when Scott Hall comes in, but also the ref's looking away too. Yeah. And if the ref saw it, he'd be like, oh, well, I should do nothing. Yeah. And the ref doesn't hear it? Yeah, you, you you wouldn't hear a taser. I mean, come on, it doesn't make any loud noises or anything like that. Yeah, no. Right? Tasers aren't electric. They're psychic, and you only hear them in your mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I can't explain it either, man. But, I mean, yeah, it's no DQ, basically just kind of for that ending, ending spot, except that the ref is looking away the entire time anyway, so why does it matter that it was no DQ? I was thinking of that mat- tag match from a six-star game. Oh, right. The Kansas, the Jayhawks versus the Russian team? Yes. Yeah, the finish is them hitting with the chain while the ref's back is turned, as if that mattered. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a decent enough match. It's nice back and forth. Realistically, it's just a shame that they go the direction they do to have that convoluted screw finish to it. Awesome match. A lot of great big moves, uh, a lot of energy. I wish I they could impart some of that energy, that big heavy hitting style to the giant in the previous match. Not that it was a bad <laughs> match in any way. I'm just saying, like you know, this was a match that kind of started out as like an eight and stayed there, yeah, the whole way. Um, a lot of chaos with the DQ, the no DQ. I like that they still count things out and try to get them to break a hold, not necessarily because you can't tap out or whatever, you know, or, I mean, I guess you can, but it kind of breaks the monotony. Like, if you're just holding a hold the whole entire... (laughs) Yeah, it's to to give you a reason for them not just continually choking the guy, but... Right, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that they do that, and that may be the reason why they still try to hide the overt use of chains or tasers or whatever. Mm -hmm just so that they can still have that underhanded element, even though it's not necessary. But, I mean, how many ref bumps did we have on this show? Yeah. And then... Point. Yeah. Why don't they give them armor? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I I enjoyed the, a lot of crazy power moves in this. People weren't being thrown over ro- ropes, but both Nash and Goldberg uh, had things where I'm like, well, this could be the pin, you know, like at any point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. You know, there wasn't anything that just seemed haphazard. I didn't. I couldn't no. picture any missed spots. To be perfectly honest, I think it was the smoke helping. Really. But <laughs> still amazed he's not got some sort of burns on him from all that. Yeah, <laughs> I was surprised to see uh, Hall showing up. I, I don't know why, but 
Even with all the foreshadowing from earlier? <laughs> yeah, I, fi- I saw him show up once. You know, I thought that would be it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not the best ending. Look, It looked like Goldberg was, like, still in the game after the stun. But I guess not. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's kicking and jumping around. <laughs> yeah, I think he's just kind of trying to show, like, spasming from mm-hmm. the... Yeah. What did he do at the end? He rolls out of the ring and just moves around. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, that's my power up not that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't even look like a normal power bomb. He just kind of like just dropped him. That's the that's the jackknife. Oh. Yeah. Um. This this one did look a little looser than normal. Mm. But normally, like he gets him up and then kind of clearly imparts forward momentum and then releases. Yeah. Do you think he was legitimately tased, or is it just? Uh, I highly doubt that he was tased. <laughs> just not dedicated. Ma- mainly because Scott Hall remained alive after the show, and I'm pretty sure if a legit taser hit Goldberg, the person doing it would be dead. <laughs> Fair enough. You would think after all those months of walking through the pyro and the sparks, it's going to be so toughened yeah. that nothing would get through. It just has, has elemental resistance at no, this point. Yeah. It's your nervous system, man. <laughs> He's 100% grounded against all electricity. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> There's just a cable attached to him. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. goes to one of the ring posts. For my part, I have to take the match and the ending a little separately here. Okay. Okay. The match felt like an epic main event. I am totally with you on that, Mm -hmm. John. Great semi-dueling crowd reactions, big power moves from both guys, good feeling of drama, a lot of close calls. Not a very fast pace, but everything has a feeling of impact, and there's always a sense that things are moving, just that these are big guys and they're, they're about power, not high speeds. Although Goldberg's acceleration on the spear might beg to differ. Mm-hmm. Nash makes Goldberg look really, really good for most of the match. That's true, yeah. Very surprising. Yeah. Nash is a big guy, but Goldberg just knocks him flat or tosses him around with ease, which looks amazing. They never lose the feel of an even fight, though. Honestly, for most of this match, I found myself thinking, this is what the 1997 main event should have felt like. This had the epic feel and the good back and forth to it. Yeah. So even though I might have opposed Tony's comments earlier in the show on biggest match ever or whatever, it definitely, in the actual match, felt like a bigger match than last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. The ending, I don't know. It feels like maybe a bit of wasted potential. You could have used the end of Goldberg's streak as a way to make a new star. Nash getting it, it's all right. It's just nothing special. I actually like that it's a cheap finish in this case. It doesn't feel like Goldberg should be going down even to the jackknife powerbomb alone. It feels like it has to be something special to take him out. Either a new really awesome finisher or some kind of shenanigans. Yeah. Kryptonite. There's interesting story possibilities coming out of this, especially with Nash being unaware of what happened. Mm -hmm. So whether this is good or bad depends less on the loss itself, I think, and more on what's done with it going forward. A good or even great big man power match with a possibly okay ending? Fair or not, there's a certain stigma attached to how this match plays out. Because behind the scenes, based on his experience and how well things he had done in the past, Nash is given a certain leeway in booking at this point. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, his great idea is to give himself the streak-breaking victory. So whether it's earned or not, there's always that caveat, because he, at least in part, gets to decide that happens. Yeah. As opposed to Bischoff and Matt going, you're so great, you gotta break the streak. 
it's pointing at himself going, you're so great, you need to break the streak. And I can see that. I just feel like looking just at mm-hmm. the show itself and what's on the show, it's not the way that I would have chosen to break the streak, but it's not a disastrous way to break the streak. No, sure. There's absolutely things you could do with this. Sure. Whether they do or not is another question. <laughs> yes. Why do they build up people to, to not have them do what, the, <laughs> what you expect them to do? Yeah. <laughs> Coming off of this match, Goldberg obviously has a couple of feuds going on. Uh, one, he's got to get rid of Scott Hall, which is he's set to do at the next show. It's sold out. And there's the lingering Ben Bigelow keeps attacking him story, which gets resolved the month after that. Mm-hmm. Scott Hall would claim that there was no connection between him and Kevin Nash as for interference. That was just his own action he chose to do. Nash would be upset by the idea that people thought he had some sort of plan. He he acts completely unaware. I have no has happened. In fact, he on the next night he's mad at Disco Inferno for interfering the match and wants to punish him for putting a dark cloud over the match. Mm-hmm. He also, on that show, to sort of clear the air and prove that he really, truly beat Goldberg, he announces that he will put the title online on the January 4th Nitro. He's going to defeat Goldberg once and for all, no questions asked. Feels like I've heard those exact words before on <laughs> the prior year, though for something that was not directly booked. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> However, on the next Nitro, as part of the buildup, a very strange U-turn occurs. While backstage, Goldberg is accused of, quote, aggressive stalking. That was the rewrite they gave, because the original thing he said no to. He's aggressively stalking Miss Elizabeth, who, by the way, is not on the show anywhere. Yeah. But he's super important on the next show. <laughs> Just go with that. So he is arrested on these charges and taken to the police station, which they make sure to point out is across the street. Like, literally, is an arena on one side, two-lane, three-lane road, PlayStation. Now the big main event is off. So what are, what are they going to do? I mean, Goldberg's being arrested and processed. Fortunately, a hero arrives. The now unretired Hulk Hogan. He claims that he's going to help the audience and he will take Goldberg's place and give them the big match they deserve. So now it's Nash versus uh, Hulk Hogan. Oh man, I was hoping Nash would just get arrested and then they could wrestle inside the. <laughs> Police station. <laughs> <laughs> that that could work. I can see a prison fight between the two. Yeah. Surprisingly, it's not a movie where that happens. It close a couple times. About 20, 30 minutes before the main event set to occur, all the charges are dropped. Miss Elizabeth, basically basing perjury for making false claims, backs off the claims, and now Goldberg is set free. So now he's going to go across the street and take his title match, which he doesn't do. He's still not there in time with the main event. So we have the big epic main event, the biggest title match ever, immediately following the biggest title match ever, of course. Hogan and Nash square off. Hulk Hogan extends his finger, touches Kevin Nash, takes a massive back bump, and is pinned for one, two, three. <laughs> Kevin Nash stands up and laughs, and he is joined in the ring by other wrestlers, including... Lex Luger and Scott Steiner and both Bagwell. The new NWO was formed, the NWO Elite, which is, in their mind, is the strongest part of the black and white and Wolfpack. And for some reason, Disco Inferno. <laughs> He's just there. They needed someone to kick. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's where that story was going. That is the finger poke of doom. Now my video hasn't frozen. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm right. just, I'm just hanging out here. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, I figured that. No, I get that reaction. I get that reaction. Yeah. I feel like my hairline is receding. <laughs> <laughs> my hair is falling out. This makes no. Yep. <laughs> yeah. If if there's one angle that people point to and and say this killed the company, chances are very good it's going to be the finger poke of doom. Yep. The dumb mock. You know, if, if if the idea was Hogan legitimately has learned dim mock and has killed Kevin Nash with it in the center of the ring and pinned him to win the world title, you could at least go somewhere with that. Yeah. But this is, no, Nash fights Goldberg, breaks the streak, and then we don't go anywhere with that. Correct. Because Hogan comes in and Nash just turns out to have been allied with him for an unspecified period of time and intentionally loses to him so Hogan can gain the title again. And we just have formed the NWO again after a year of them battling back and forth because they hated each other now. Basically, 1998 is pointless. Yeah. Is what that says. Well, I think Hall had a whole speech about that. <laughs> yeah. He, he said 1999 was going to be better. Hall is a liar. That's going to be his year, and he is part of the NWO yeah. elite. And I know we haven't seen most 1998 shows, but it's going to kind of cast a pall over all of the 1998 shows for me, because I'll know all this stuff between NWO Hollywood and NWO Wolfpack, the resolution for that is either they were never fighting or they just kind of stopped fighting and decided to be friends again. Mm -hmm. They decided they love Hogan so much that he has to be the world champion again. Yeah. The, the guy that they decided they didn't like, and that's the entire reason the group broke apart, is that Correct. Hogan couldn't defend the world title. Yeah. Their resolution to that is, Hogan comes back in, and we're going to let him have him defend the world title again. Nash just, he's not even, like, fighting him, losing to him, and being like, oh my gosh, we nope. you've proven that you're a better wrestler, so okay. He's just goes down like he was shot yeah. when Hogan pokes him in the chest revealing that this entire thing is a big lie. Picture the bump that he takes from the spear Yes, in this match. It's the same bump he takes. It's that sudden, sharp back bump. Jeez. Poke slams up backwards. Yeah. There are two big angles in 1998. The NWO Hollywood versus NWO Wolfpack and the Goldberg streak. And in one moment, in the finger poke of doom, they have killed both those angles. Yeah. Because you've removed all the potential cool storyline possibilities you could have from the end of this match that would turn it from a, eh, I'm not sure why you went that way, to, oh, that was cool. And you've removed the entire NWO versus NWO angle. Yeah. And given neither of them a satisfactory conclusion. Well, and the biggest thing is that this shows that WCW, when pressed, will default to the norm. Yeah. Which, for them, the norm is NWO. Yeah. I mean, they were clearly trying to break away from that a little by having a face version, seeing if they could keep them both going. They're clearly weakening the heel version, the black and white. Mm -hmm. Hogan leaves, and you know, it's Scott Steiner in charge, and it's it's not as the same level. The point where there's a jokingly the B team of people like Norton and Adams. Yeah, they're in the NWO, but it's not like oh Hall and Nash are here. It's oh yeah, those guys are also here. 
But yeah, anytime they can't think of anything to do, they just go back to NVO. Yep. That's what you get. <sighs> Any other thoughts on that? I wish I didn't know it. Yeah, I know. It's it's like the Dusty thing where he wins the title and then, like, you know, the next day it's taken away from him. Yeah. This could be a decent moment, but it's entirely spoiled. So, WBF is still trying to save money. They're doing alternately taped shows and live shows. So, every other one is taped or live. So, they taped a show where the main event is Mick Foley winning the world title off of The Rock. But as the match is approaching, back in during like the direct buildup, like the ring announce and everything, Tony Schiavone is told directly through his earpiece by Eric Bischoff, clearly, downplay this, give away the results of what's going to happen so no one will switch. On the WWF show. WWF, away, yeah, the WWF yeah, sorry, results, yeah. yeah. He's given a line, which basically he says, um, something along the Mick Foley, who used to wrestle here as Cactus Jack, wins their world title tonight. Ha! That'll put butts in the seats. At which point, depending on where you read it, it's anywhere between three to six hundred thousand people change channel upon hearing, ooh, really? Click. Because they like McFoley and would like to see him win the world title. Correct. Yeah. So, reverse marketing there. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. It's a like a point two in the rating spike or something. Some exact number that's... Jeez. Yeah noticeable when you're fighting for like 3.4 and 3.6 and 3.7 you know reminds me of the whole like you know whenever there's like a new book released or something and someone reads the last chapter or whatever and puts up like a billion memes on giving away the ending Uh uh-huh yeah just in this case it made you actually go and buy the book i did i bought the book because of it that that whole thing is just them being petty and it certainly backfires kind of deserve it actually (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 <laughs> we get a quick replay of the Taser Zap, Hall's Escape, the Power Bomb, and Nash raising the title in the air. And Starcade 98 is done. That was sudden. <laughs> yeah. So, overall thoughts on Starcade 98? It's a show with a very strong opening section, two interconnected matches that are very good, a third match that. It's very surprisingly good. My own issues with how much dancing and crowd interaction there is aside, the match itself is really good. Then it sort of slowly meanders downwards. <laughs> None of the matches are terrible, it's just they're not really important or they're just okay. Nothing is matching up to what we just saw. And plus they constantly stop here the match for three video packages or promos. So it's just them dragging their feet to, to get to feature length. Mm-hmm. It's like movies when they they run the credits for like 15 minutes, and they're you're like, wait, this movie's only 80 minutes long? Oh, well, that's why. But it's in the middle of the show. Yeah. It picks up again really strongly, not surprisingly, with DDP, much like we ran into a little with 97. Him and Hennig do a really mm-hmm. good job with that. And then they have a really strong main event with a kind of dubious, overcomplicated mess of a finish, but makes you curious to see where it's going to go. And of course, we know where it goes, and it's terrible. Yeah. One takeaway I think is interesting for the show as a whole is that the Prince Ikea North Molly match was a match I had very little interest in. I was like, oh, it's probably okay, but was surprisingly good. And then the flip side is I see Chris Jericho and Conan in a match, and not as good as I'd hoped. Yeah, that is interesting. You get a show with a great start, 
not even a great start, a fantastic start. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The Cruiserweight and Impromptu match kind of, you know, you got to see four great athletes. You know, it was almost like a tag team thing because they were all working against each other or with each other at mm-hmm. points. Yeah. You have a great beginning and then you have filler. <laughs> And way too many promos. Honestly, if they took out the promos, I think a lot of it would have been a little bit better. And I hate to think that, you know, people are in the stadium waiting for this, suffering through it too. Yeah. And then you have promos built up after promos, but I'm going to get off of that word. And uh, <laughs> and then you have a couple little highlights. You get some good cr- crowd interactions. You have a couple dances and then you have two good matches at the end. It has a great beginning, and then a a match at the very end that is totally worth the caliber of what Starcade's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I see so. And then it, they WCW it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, yeah, yeah, I totally see what you're getting at there. But no, it really is like, I still had a smile at the flare match, so, you know, I, I don't know. It was definitely worth a watch, but... Save yourself some time. Go to the beginning, go to the end. <laughs> and yeah. you can watch the last mm-hmm. two and watch the first two. And, and mm-hmm. stuff in between can get smushed around. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to wrap my head around my thoughts on this show. It has a really strong start with a crazy three-way match followed by a couple of very good singles matches. Then it kind of trails off into this meandering, directionless blob for quite a while, filled with video packages, promos, and matches that aren't so much outright bad as just underwhelming and not really interesting. And then it pops right back up for the last couple matches and delivers two good contests with good storylines before a show ending that feels, I don't know, okay? (laughs) Obviously, looking back at it, knowing where it leads, it ends up feeling pretty bad. But taking just this show, it feels acceptable, but not the big bombastic finish the night seemed to need. And then the show just stops. It feels like we need something to really wrap it up, but we just kind of unceremoniously sign off. I just kind of thought, wait, that's it? (laughs) There are so many promos and videos. The promos are mostly fine taken individually. Some are even good, but having all of them and the video packages just felt like far too much on one show. I started thinking back to Cowboys explaining bunkhouse stampedes again. Mm-hmm. Why does this always happen the show after I say WCW needs more promos? Yeah. Another lesson in being careful what you wish for, I guess. Yeah. It just really, really slows down the middle of the show, and it feels like a contributing factor in why some of the matches come off underwhelming. Matches 4 through 7 are all quite short, none of them longer than 9 minutes. Cut some of the promos or videos and give each of those matches a little more time to work with, and I think some of them could have upped their game. It really contributes to the middle of the show feeling like kind of a slog. I still miss the Tony, Dusty, Heenan announced team, as there's a lot more energy to it, but Tony, Tanay, and Heenan did have some good exchanges, and generally did a good job of talking up the matches and their storylines where they could, with the exception of the first quarter to half of the Smiley Iakea match that they basically ignored. Yeah. Tanae and Tony both miss a few of Heenan's joke setups, too. It doesn't feel totally smooth. (laughs) That's true. The show felt like it had a big atmosphere. It felt important. But the matches didn't always seem to hold up to that. We see some signs of the NWO factional feud between Hollywood and Wolfpack that's been going on, but there's no matches based around that, which feels strange. Instead, we got a tag match with NWO Hollywood versus Finlay and Jerry Flynn. 
What about, say, Luger and Conan versus Scott Steiner and Bagwell, which we get signs of backstage but don't actually get? And as much as I like Smiley versus Iakea, it felt like just a match for matches' sake. It doesn't help that seven of the nine matches involve some kind of outside interference, whether it be managers, accompanying wrestlers, or outright run-ins. And of the two that don't, Smiley vs. Iakea and Jericho vs. Conan, Jericho vs. Conan still teases a cheap finish before averting it, and based on that backstage segment before the match, should probably have featured interference. It's just the era we're in at this point, I know, and it doesn't ruin the matches, but it's just so repetitive with it happening in almost every match. And of the three big things the show builds towards, Flair versus Bischoff, DDP versus the Giant, and Nash versus Goldberg, only DDP versus the Giant has what feels like a really satisfying ending. So this can be a decent show. It's just a show with a big, inexplicable valley in the middle of it, and a few kind of perplexing moments and match finishes. It's fine to watch, but probably not straight through. Definitely fast forward through all the video packages, at least. It's weird because so much of the show feels important, like especially the ending where they build up as important everything is. But getting to there in the middle, like it could be a random nitro or a thunder. Yeah, knowing that everyone was potentially in attendance, you wonder why they chose the people they chose. Mm-hmm. Fair, yeah, it's fair. Yeah. If there's this big rivalry, why isn't Hogan even mentioned in the whole thing? He's running for president at the moment still they could yeah. th- there wasn't a promo or anything in there yeah it's true yeah it is very strange hogan being held off as a big surprise for a great story they have coming up yeah mm. not worth it no not at all yeah it's it's just a strange show and it's one of those ones that's really hard to wrap your head around exactly how you feel about it because like you said john it has a great opening and pretty good to great ending but the middle is just like what <laughs> There's so much just slow down and uh, the best promo was like twelve seconds long with the giant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, good beginnings, good endings, not so much in between. All right, match of the night and MVP. So match of the night, I'm a bit torn. They're going back and forth, even while we're discussing it. For me, it comes down to either either the two opening matches, basically. I think for me, I have to of the two. I have to pick the Eddie Guerrero Kidman match because mm. I really like the story they built of following up on the previous match. There is a lot of interference, but it, it's evened out really well, I think, because it goes both ways with Thuvi and Ray there. And just how much I was impressed by what Eddie Guerrero could do in the situation, was he running the ropes with one shoe and all that? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty and impressive. His heel work in the match through the story is really good. MVP was a little tricky for me because, again, my initial thought was just go straight to Eddie Guerrero because he's so good. Because <laughs> that match is so great. And everything else evolved. And plus his crazy uh, or dramatic no bit yes. as well. I can't pick him MVP, though, because there's just too many issues in that middle promo between the matches. Mm-hmm. If he had nailed that promo 100%, he's MVP. He just ties both of them up. So I going away, I apparently just seem to go, which is MVP is gonna be someone who's matched in quite a good match that night, but they did so well I can't ignore what they did. So as weird as it may sound, MVP for me is DDP. Okay. Because he built a really good match. I just don't think Giant could 
execute it as well as he wrote it. All right, John. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> the first two matches were so good, though. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go with the cruiserweight championship triangle match as my okay. match of the night because it had a lot of great bits in it. It had like, oh yeah, we should be teaming up against this other person. You know, it had some funny bits too and a lot of good uh, work. And, you know, it led to the other match. So we'll mm-hmm. go with that. Yeah, and, it won for, and for you, it set one for everybody, I think. It set the pace for how good the show could be. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's an absolutely valid choice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this will surprise you, but my um, MVP will probably be Goldberg, actually. Okay. <laughs> Which I, I, I would never, I've always made fun of him when I, when I was, you know, thinking this. But really, Nash did a good job of making him look good. And mm-hmm. he was robbed this night. And uh, this is not how I wanted to see him lose his streak. So, honestly, I really felt for him. So, Goldberg. Your MVP is his consolation prize. I guess. I mean, he probably <laughs> yeah. feels better now. I, I get that. I mean, it's a it's a good performance. Um, together, he and Nash put on something that feels really epic. They were in the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was surprised at how much I liked the last match. It did feel worthy of the last spot. The reason why the mat, that match did not get the match of the night is because of the ending. Mm-hmm. Sure. I am really surprised I'm choosing Goldberg, but uh, he did a great performance, and uh, and and I don't like Kevin Nash because of how everything turns out now. So, <laughs> <laughs> if I'd actually before I told you that, you might have picked him, but now no. I would have thought about it. I would have no, considered yeah, it. Probably valid. Honestly, if he didn't tell me that, I probably would have picked that as the match of the night, and then just chose Kidman <laughs> to, to honor the first two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The first two matches are exceptional, and I could easily see myself going with one of those, and I keep thinking that I might go back and do it different, but I'm going to stick with what I said in my notes and and, and go with it, just because otherwise I'll question myself all night. I'm going to go with DDP versus the Giant. Okay. Much like last year, it was the purest emotional connection that I made with a match all night, though in this case, at least it wasn't the only one. DDP was a terrific underdog hero, and the Giant was a great, intimidating, sadistic villain, and it made for a great mix. Cap it all off with a great ending diamond cutter, and it edges its way to the front. It's a near thing, but um, that one just hit me just right. And I think it's that lingering gratitude from it basically saving the show for me at that point, too. Yeah. Like going back to the that Steamboat match that saved Yeah, where, yeah, where you just had, thank you, Steamboat, written as your notes. That's what I had, yeah. <laughs> yep. For my MVP, you and I were thinking along the same lines, John. Uh, I'm giving this to Billy Kidman for not one, but two excellent performances to kick off the show. Amazing work, especially considering how insane that first match was. The fact that he had anything left for the second, and he very much did, was incredible. Honorable mentions to Eddie Guerrero for a great heel performance and DDP for a terrific underdog battle, but Kidman really impressed me tonight, and he's my MVP. And that wraps up our review of Starcade 98. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Links will be available in the episode description. 
follow us for episode announcements and other show details, and share your own thoughts about the Starcades as we go through. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures, and to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Join us next time for Starcade 99, the battle to end the millennium. No, it isn't. <laughs> it is, however, the Starcade to end WCW's streak of good pay-per-view numbers. Next year, we're back down to the old normal, and sadly, back up to the old number of matches, too. 13 matches, guys. That lucky number. The most since way back at Starcade 90. Yeah, wow. You ready for one of those shows again? John's face says no. <laughs> it's like you just been to a lemon. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Hopefully there's less promos on that one, because 13 matches and promos, we may be here all night. Yeah. When they when they do the pay-per-view, do they tell them how long the show is going to be? <laughs> yes. Usually. <laughs> I wonder if that has to do with the, the number of sales. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgen and John Mullins, signing off. Good night, everybody. Happy wrestling. And work on those sweet luchador moves. <laughs> Flair, Flair rips Bischoff's... Ah, Flair rips Bischoff's... Ah, that's hard to say. How do I say that? <laughs> Flair rips Bischoff's shirt off.